0: Tonight on fan for racing Network, uh, tonight we are talking about the CODA NASCAR weekend preview and Hot Topics Sound Off. We're going to start in the first half hour with some short track news. Then we'll preview the ARCA East Series. They're finally going to have their season opening race out at Five flag Speedway. We're so excited about that. Last week we had it on the schedule, uh, so we jumped the gun by a week. But we'll also give... Um, a few updates from the Arca Menards and the Arca West Series as well. At the top of the hour, we're going to start our Truck Series Preview at Circuit of the Americas. We'll move on to the Xfinity and then the Cup Series at, uh, actually, at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, then stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our FAMPA Racing crew. Uh, they are always uh, ready to talk racing, and we will certainly be doing that. Uh, Today with them At 10 p.m. Eastern Time Joining me for today's show Is of course Our co-host for tonight And that is Jay Huseman
1: Well thank you Sharon I heard you mention it already Guess what we have tonight An entry list and a pit box news and notes For the Arkham and RG series uh, (laughs) At Five Flags Uh, We tried to do it last week Couldn't get it done but we will this week
0: yeah, well, we'll definitely have <laughs> we'll definitely have our entry list for this week for the Arkham Art Series. Okay, but let's start first with some short track news, Jay, because uh, <clears throat> there are some cool things happening in the uh, short track world as well. And I'm going to start over at Racing America. Um, Kevin Harvick has entered the C- Cars Tour, the CARS Tour for the race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Of course, that's ahead of the uh, all-star race that's going to take place out there. But it's going to be really cool to see uh, Kevin Harvick behind the wheel of his number 62 uh, late model stock car. And uh, that will take place on, I believe, May 17th, Wednesday, May 17th.
1: This is one of those. I don't know if, I, if it tells the date uh, the last time he ran a late model race like this, but he committed this, this, to. this is his debut. <laughs> okay, um, that's why I know he's run different series and different races. But being a part of the ownership, the dedication he's showing. Uh at North Wilkesboro. We know we're going back there for the All Star races as part of, uh, kind of a prelude to that as we get ready for it but also the commitment he's giving to short track racing. He's talked about it, and he's backing it up by running in this event. So I think it's huge to have somebody like Kevin Harvick supporting grassroots racing, You know, not just saying, hey, we need to support it, but going out and showing it and doing it.
0: Absolutely. A couple little notes here, too. Uh, you know that race that's taking place at North Wilkesboro to win the Cup Series, the All-Star Race, uh, he's going to be running that throwback scheme, of his first car that he drove in the NASCAR Cup Series and, uh, Cup Series season, and that's the number 29 So for Richard Childress Racing. So that's going to be really cool to see as well. And then also in January, you'll remember that Harvick, along with Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Burton, and Justin Marks, all became part of a new ownership group of the CARS Tour, uh, Dale Jr. also competed with the Cars Tour at North Wilkesboro last summer during the Racetrack Revival. He finished third in that race. So, it's really cool to see these guys. Uh, he's a, he's an owner, a part owner in that track, and now he's going to be racing on that track, not just in the All-Star Race, but in this Cars Tour as well.
1: And you mentioned in there, uh, I don't know that we talked about it on our hot topics, but that um, North Wilkesboro throwback scheme uh, as part of the All-Star Weekend.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and that
1: is one that's huge. I saw him talk about it on Race Hub for Ford and Chevrolet to work together, for Stuart Haas Racing and Richard Childress Racing to work mm-hmm. together, for sponsors to work together for that to happen. That's all about giving back to the fans and the sport because that paint scheme obviously meant a lot um, with how it came about following the death of Dale Earnhardt, the number 29 Goodwrench. Um, so that that to me, just to see the entire sport come together to support something like that, like I said, yeah. you got two manufacturers, two different organizations, sponsors giving up spots and working with the uh, design. Uh, that that's just huge and amazing, and I, I felt really cool about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, you bring up a really good point. Uh, it took a, a monumental effort uh, to really coordinate all of that. And uh, the fans are going to be appreciative of the fact that they're going to be able to see that 29 car back on the track uh, for this all-star race at North Wilkesboro. I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, and then also just the idea that as an owner, he's he's not just participating in this race, uh, these two races, uh, as a race car driver, he's also an owner of that track. So uh, for those guys, or not of that track, but of that series, the Cars Tour. So I think that that's really uh, fantastic that these guys are coordinating and working with NASCAR uh, to really get some of these things done.
1: And, that, and that's where I said, uh, I mean, basically it's putting your money where your mouth is. He has always talked about mm-hmm. the need – to support grassroots racing but he's showing he was willing to do it you know he's stepping away from full-time racing um for a reason to spend time with his family but also still wants the sport to thrive and survive so that's a big part of it
0: it really is a big big part of it uh also this week uh there were several drivers that uh, took part in a two-day test out at north wilkesboro so that goodyear tire test uh uh, from everything I've seen uh, went pretty well. And uh, <clears throat> they've got an article here with quotes from the drivers. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this on Hot Topics uh, probably as well.
1: Yeah, and this is interesting. I mean, being that they haven't run on this track in however many years, uh, mm-hmm. the cars aren't necessarily heavier or faster or anything, but there's still a difference. And to go out and get this tire test done and want to put on the best show um i I hate to say it like this but even if that doesn't turn out to be a good race it's still going to hold a spot in history because they did return there for the all-star race so it's a win no matter what in my opinion obviously i'm hoping for a good race but truthfully even if it's not the best of races just the event itself is historic
0: I felt like uh, some of the drivers were so in awe of the uh, histor- history behind North Wilkesboro uh, and the chance to be able to race on it uh, that we didn't get <clears throat> uh, some of the feedback that I was looking for about the, how the, it raced, uh, but I do feel like uh, this is going to be a pretty electric race uh, to see uh, all of these drivers racing on this historic track. Um, let's go ahead and move over here to um, the Flow Racing. The big news over here that I saw is Kyle Busch is going to enter the Kyle Larson Late Model Challenge at Volunteer Speedway, and it's going to be uh, on Thursday, April the 6th, just a few days before he races on the Bristol dirt there. So that's going to be kind of exciting to see happen as well. Bush well, also it's not, races. Su-
1: not a su- Yeah, it's not a surprise to see Kyle Busch doing that. He is one that does participate in other events. Um, But Mm -hmm. this, again, goes back to helping out even a fellow competitor. And and I look back to when Tony Stewart first took over Eldora. These drivers that went and participated participated in the prelude to the dream, NASCAR drivers, a lot of them who hadn't run dirt, going and finding somebody to run their late model, which was a risk because, again, they don't have a lot of experience on dirt but supporting Tony Stewart and his efforts. They're competitors on the track. We've seen them go nose-to-nose and head-to-head. But when it comes down to it, they support each other in these other endeavors, which I think is just shows the close-knit community that NASCAR and racing is.
0: Absolutely. Now, we know that Jonathan Davenport is going to be racing uh, with NASCAR uh, in the Colleague Racing uh, car uh, come April as well. He'll be racing at the Bristol Dirt Race. Uh, but there's an article here that Kyle Larson put out uh, is, is talking about uh, how good Jonathan Davenport really is. So to hear a NASCAR driver touting how good Jonathan Davenport is is uh, pretty cool to see as well.
1: Yeah, and that's one that that's where the, how they get recognized is when you have a driver such as Kyle Larson. I mean, I think about Tony Stewart as the one that talked about Kyle Larson of, you know, he wanted to get him signed when he went to Hendrick, just wasn't able to get it done. But another driver seeing that talent and recognizing that talent saying, hey, watch out for this guy. And Jonathan Davenport came off a phenomenal year last year, I believe, clearing over $2 million in race winnings.
0: Exactly. That was a fantastic season for him. But um. Uh And there's a quote here from uh, Kyle Larson uh, that he gave the media at Phoenix Raceway. He says, and this is about Jonathan Davenport, I race him all the time and I get beat by him. I have very similar equipment to him and setups, Larson said. Typically, I think I can get in anyone's car and go faster than them, and I can't go as fast as Jonathan does. (laughs) So that's pretty cool to hear uh, in uh, anticipation of Jonathan Davenport racing on Bristol Dirt.
1: It is. I know we've seen it in the truck series, which is a little bit different, and we've also seen it on, normally it's a lot of times in uh, sponsorship-driven rides um, where that they can bring a sponsor and get get into a ride. To see it in, and colleague has become a top-notch team, to see it in a, a car mm-hmm. like that we you know is capable of winning, on a track that suits them. I know it's a spill cup style and going to be a little bit different, but um, should be real interesting. I know we'll talk about it with CODA, some of the stars that are jumping into cars this weekend at CODA. They're, again, in some top teams that we know are capable of winning. So there's going to be a little bit different uh, outlook to it.
0: Absolutely, and now I'm going to jump over to Short Track Scene. Uh, there's an article here that talks about the Cars Tour. We talked about them racing at North Wilkesboro, but before they get to work North Wilkesboro, they're going to have a second race of their season out at Florence Speedway, which is also another one of those iconic bull rings. Uh, so that, I believe, is going to happen. I'm looking for a date here. <clears throat> I'm thinking it's this weekend, but I'm not really seeing a date here of when that's going to be.
1: All right, let me see if the one. I had read the article on um, Still Back on Racing America, if that one has the date. I know it's coming up soon.
0: Yeah, I know it should be coming up here soon, Uh, but if you want to kind of uh, familiarize yourself with this Cars Tour and some of the uh, amazing drivers that are going to be in this race, You'll want to head over and read the article. You saw one on flow racing. There's also one over here on short track scene. Uh, it's got an entry list there of all the drivers that will be participating. Carson Quappel's on that list. Tate Fogelman. Uh, I'm trying to mention some of the ones that you guys are going to know. Cale Gale, Mason Diaz, um, Connor Jones, Isabel, Isabella Robusto, Blake Lothian. We've had both of them on the show. Um, So, Jason Kitzmiller are all familiar names that uh, people should have heard uh, from this race show in particular. uh, And those are some of the drivers that are going to be racing at this uh, track. And Florence Speedway. Florence is another one of those uh, big-name tracks on the short track, on the late model tour.
1: All right, it does uh, it does here it say it says on Saturdays Aaron 125. So that will be the 25th, I believe. Fifth, right. The 25th. Nap, yeah, right. I guess
0: it's this Saturday. You go. Okay. Um,
1: the other thing I t- I took from the one I read here is the um director, series director Steve Zach- Zacharias, if I'm saying that right, uh came over after the closure of Myrtle Beach Speedway. So we talked about one closing um and going away. He's come over there, so hopefully that helps there with Florence Motor Speedway.
0: Yes, indeed. So that's really interesting, too. So you can catch up and and kind of get some background information before the race begins. Uh, So check those out. We're going to move on, Jay over to the ARCA Racing website and talk about the ARCA Menard Series East Season Opener. It's finally going to happen out at Five Flag Speedway. Uh, This weekend, the Pensacola 200 uh, will take place Saturday, March the 25th at 7 p.m. Central. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. And it will be available for live streaming at Blow Racing. You can listen to the radio over at arcaracing.com. It is a half-mile paved oval, and they will be racing 200 laps. Now, on Saturday, they'll have a final practice from 2.30 to 3.30. That's local time. Uh, The General Tire Pole Qualifying will take place at 4.30 p.m. Central. Uh, Just just, uh, make that 5.30. It's an hour uh, later if you're on Eastern time. Uh, The Pensacola 200, again, is 200 laps, 100 miles, and that starts at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, There's uh, a lot uh, to look forward to here with the Arkham and Art Series season coming to life uh, this Saturday night with the Pensacola 200.
1: Well, and one of the first things I noticed, and we talked about this when it came to the Arkham and Ard Sioux Chief showdown, they said that they had gone away with that because they wanted to put the focus back on the East series and drivers entering their full time for this season opener. There are 16, I believe if I counted correctly entries on the season opener. So hopefully that maintains throughout the year. Cause we have seen where they've had as few as I believe 10, nine, entries for an East Series race, so that appears to be working as uh, the Arca Menards kind of put the focus on that.
0: Yes, and we had Tyler Reif on the show Monday night. He won the Arca West opener out at uh, Phoenix Raceway uh, a week or two ago, and that was with the Arca Menards Series. So he's now going to be on the entry list for the season opener out here for the Arca East. So uh, he's racing with Loudon Jackson Motorsports. We talked to him on Monday night. If you want to go back and hear that interview, it's in the second half hour of our Monday night show.
1: Well, another one that I noticed right off the top, talking about a winner, is William Solwich with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. He's going to be there in the number 18 as well. Um, So we're talking about some already having won drivers and teams. Um, competing in this East Series, so that always makes yeah. it that much more interesting.
0: Another one to keep your eyes on: Luke Fenhouse. He's the winner of the Slinger Nationals at Wisconsin's Slinger Super Speedway. He's going to make his ARCA debut for a New Pinnacle Racing Group aboard the number 28 Chevrolet, and he's scheduled to chase uh, the East Series Championship. So we'll see more of him. But there's also a pair of entries from Venturini Motorsports.
1: That was another interesting uh, thing I noticed. Jake Finch going to be in the number 20 with the Phoenix Construction sponsorship. But also, gone, also then the number 15 will be Sean Higarani um, from Newport Beach,
0: Higurani.
1: California. Yes.
0: Yes, and then also, after a strong run at Daytona International Speedway, LaVar Scott is going to be back in action with Rev Racing. He's going to be uh, racing this weekend as well. Some other entrants include R.J. Smotherman, Jackery Tinkle, uh, Dale Shearer, Tanner Arms, and Ed Pompa. Uh, but let's uh, take a You said 16 drivers?
1: That's what, that's what I counted up there, yep.
0: Okay, let's go from the bottom up and uh, mention these drivers. We'll go every other one.
1: Every other? All right. Uh, starting at the 06 with Nate Moeller out of Lafayette, Ohio, and the Peterson Motorsports, Wayne Peterson, owner and crew chief of that Toyota.
0: From North Aurora, Illinois, is Dallas Fruay. He'll be driving the 01 for fast track racing, uh, and he'll be in the Hillenburg Ford. Uh, and he's going to be his own crew chief, I guess.
1: <laughs> Another one of these cell phone teams, Dale Scherer, we mentioned, out of Alabama, Alabama, Illinois, for Sure Racing, will be in a Toyota. Jimmy Edlin will be his crew chief.
0: Tony Pankowska will be the crew chief uh, behind the uh, number 95 Toyota uh, for Tanner Arms out of Springfield, Tennessee, He'll be driving that Sunset Park RV manufacturing machine for Mark Noble, his team owner.
1: Well, and one we see in the main Arkham series is Brad Smith, driving that famous number 48. Comes out of Shelby Township, Michigan. Got Copraya as a sponsorship and Carlos Leon as his crew chief.
0: Mention R.J. Smotherman. He'll be behind the wheel of the 46 Our Country AF Radio Stoney Ford for Chris Loudon. And David Jackson will be his crew chief. So it sounds like a Loudon Jackson team there. Uh, he comes from uh, Pahrump, Nevada.
1: And another Loudon Jackson uh, pairing is the number 41 Ford with their guest from Monday night coming all the way from Henderson, Nevada will be Tyler Rice.
0: Okay. Uh, Rita Goulet is right, driving the uh, number 31. Hitman wear Chevrolet for Tim Goulet. Uh, Sebastian LaForge will be her crew chief. She hails from uh, McAuliffe, Alabama.
1: You mentioned Luke Fenhouse, and I knew I knew that name. I just didn't remember from where. It comes out of Wasau, Wasau Wisconsin, for the pinnacle racing group, number 28 Chevrolet. Uh, Mark Webb listed as the owner, and Shane Huffman is his crew chief.
0: And we also mentioned Jake Finch driving that number 20 for uh, Venturini Motorsports. Johnny Allen will be his crew chief. He hails from uh, Lynn Haven, Florida. He'll have Phoenix Construction on his Toyota.
1: Matt Ross will be crew chief in the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota with William Sawwich from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, behind the wheel.
0: Okay, and Sean Hingarani yeah, from Newport Beach, California will be driving the number fifteen Goodwrench Toyota for Venturini Motor Speedway or Venturini Motorsports. Uh, Kevin Reed Junior is his crew chief.
1: Then we get into the Hillenberg machines. The number twelve Hillenberg Toyota will be Tim Monroe out of Elmwood, Illinois. Apparently gonna be making his own calls as he's listed as his own crew
3: chief.
0: <laughs> okay and zachary tinkle driving another andy Hillenberg toyota the number 11 he hails from speedway indiana and todd parrot uh is going to be his crew chief that's a great crew, crew chief for him uh he drives uh his sponsor is racing for rescues it's an, in, an indiana com. so looking forward to seeing him back on track
1: and then the number 10 is a Hillenburg machine, but it's a Ford. And that'll be driven by Ed Pompa coming out of Boston Spa, New York, with Dick Doheny as his crew chief.
0: And driving the number six Chevrolet for Rev Racing Max Siegel uh, is Lavar Scott. From Carneys Point, New Jersey, Jay Lupo is his crew chief. So there you have it, all the entries for the Arkham Art Series East season opener, and uh, I'm very excited about it. Again, it's going to be March 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern, and if you're a Flow Racing member, you can watch it the live streaming there. If you're not on Flow Racing and you want to wait for the delay broadcast, it will be available on uh, CNBC April 2nd at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And also, during the race, they have Race Central and uh, radio coverage over at ARCAracing.com. But um, uh, I always like to tell people for the delayed broadcast, check your local listings in case there's any changes there.
1: Most certainly, because you don't want to miss it. Some of us get so excited, we try to cover it a week early. Um, so you don't want to miss it, that's for sure.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, this is kind of cool. They've started a track profile for Five Flag Speedway and photos. If you want to see some of the photos uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, Five Flag Speedway, you can check that out over at ARCA Racing as well. Uh, Just kind of familiarize yourself, I guess, with the track uh, when you take a look at those photos. Uh, They've got some cool ones over there, Jay.
1: Well, this is one I've been fortunate enough to do. If you really want to be familiar with the track, go down to Pensacola, Florida, uh, whether whether it be for the Snowball Derby or not. uh, But go down and see that track. It is a very awesome facility there at Pensacola.
0: Yes, it is. And and you mentioned it. I was gonna remind everybody this is the snowball derby takes place uh usually end of November or beginning of December and uh it is a very big race where drivers come from all over the country. I was so happy to see Derek Thorne come home as the snowball derby champion this year.
1: And I know we got a, a minute or two here yet before we switch over to our truck series. I think that was back on uh, Racing America as well. They are starting, and it'll be in conjunction with this Arkham Menard Series season opener, a new class there. It's called the Crown Stock uh, entry-level uh, class where everything again is supposed to be stock. I'll, I'll just clarify that. So it's a little bit cheaper. You're not spending a lot of time doing uh, researching and engineering. Uh, you run stock cars. I believe the Crown Victorias, the Interceptors, and Grand, uh, marquee grand prix with the three cars that were going to be allowed in that but uh cheaper entry level class that they're starting there at five flags this year
0: oh very cool uh also over at dot com, they have a, a interesting article uh about lavar scott uh again he's going to be in that uh number six rev racing uh, machine and it's if you want to kind of familiarize yourself with who LeVar Scott is uh, they also mentioned Fenhouse uh, and to give you a little bit of background on him Sawalich uh, all a lot of different drivers they give you some background on those drivers here and I think that's uh, very cool to see them do that so it's a little bit of a notebook on the different drivers that are going to be in at the track this weekend at Pensacola
1: well, and we talked about it with the season he had last year, Le- LeVar Scott. That's another one other drivers are talking about to keep your eye on, and he's carrying some momentum coming out of Daytona. So it would be interesting to see how he does here throughout the season in the Arkham and Series East.
0: And if you ever wonder um, if there are any big names in the Arkham and Series, <laughs> there are several drivers uh, that they highlight uh, when they win in NASCAR. These are ARCA graduates, drivers like Christian Eckes, Austin Hill, and Joey Logano, all winners at Atlanta Motor Speedway last weekend. All of those drivers came up through the ARCA Menard Series.
1: And we've seen that a lot. You're right, that these drivers uh, may not get the top name and attention, I guess, if you will, when they're in the ARCA Menard Series, but that's where they grow and learn their skill, craft their skill, so by the time they get to the Truck Series Xfinity or Cup Series, uh, they're at the top of their game, which they need to be.
0: Absolutely, and they will be, so I think that's going to be fantastic. Um... Okay, next up we're going to review all three series. If we, if, and that's a big if, if we have time left over, Jay, I, I uh, thought we might be able to play some audio uh, from some interviews that took place this week, but they don't have it available yet, so I'm not going to be able to do that. But I'm hoping that you're going to have an update on our point standings for our fantasy group.
1: All right, uh, you want me to do that first or if we have time at the end?
0: If we have time at the end, I'm thinking.
1: All right. Okay, I can so, do that.
0: I'm just telling you ahead of time so that you can uh, have it ready to go in case uh, we have that extra time. Okay, uh, we are now going to move over to, I know it's a little bit early, but we're going to move over to the truck series. The NASCAR Traf- Craftsman Truck Series will be racing this weekend at the Circuit of the Americas. I'm really excited about this weekend. I always am. Uh, they'll be racing the Expel 225 Saturday, March the 25th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and radio coverage is also available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll race a distance of 143.22 miles. That's 42 laps. Uh, stage 1 ends on lap 12. Stage 2 is going to be go a couple laps more. It'll end on lap 26 for 14 laps. And then the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 42, so um, we've got some truck drivers that'll be uh, uh, that ran that tire test out at North Wilkesboro so what did they have to say Jay?
1: Well we had uh, drivers from the truck series where Zane Smith, Corey Heim, and Carson Hosovar spent some time there like you said at North Wilkesboro Speedway on Monday ahead of the much anticipated race in May and Monday's test ran seven plus hours as a prelude to three NASCAR Cup Series teams scheduled for their own Goodyear session on Tuesday. And I'm just going to kind of recap here what Carson Hosevar had to say. And Sharon, you mentioned it; they didn't really say how the test went. They were just uh, thrilled to be at that historic <laughs> track. Um, I is noticed what that Carson in a lot Hosef of Carson Hosevar's comments, really were yeah, uh, just about being there and taking that in and appreciative to uh NASCAR and Dale Jr and the cars tours that they they kept that track in mind.
0: Mhm. Okay, thank you Jay. Okay, also uh, it's going to be Tyler Ankrum Day in Austin, Texas. He won the inaugural poll at the uh, Circuit of the Americas in 21, and went on to finish third in that race. So they will have the he will have the honor of saying that on March 25th, 2023, it is officially Tyler Ankrum Day in the city of Austin, Texas. The mayor, Austin of Austin, is Kirk Watson, and he'll officially proclaim Tyler Ankrum Day at 9.50 a.m. Central Time at the number 16 hauler in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series Garage. So uh, that's really cool to have uh, a day in your honor uh, out there in Austin, Texas, and at such a prestigious track as COTA as well.
1: Most certainly is, and I'm glad to see that the hometowns there are recognizing their drivers. Now, when we talk about COTA we're going to look at the top performers on road course in the Craftsman Truck Series. Now, they've competed on road courses throughout its history, including the inaugural season in 1995. Uh, This season, the series will take on two different road courses. This weekend, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, and then the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course on July 8th. But before the trucks take to the track this weekend, let's take a look at some of the top road course performers in the series in total, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series has run 30 road course races all time from 1995 to the present. Out of those 30, they've produced 24 different winners, uh, led by Joe Rutman, as well as NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr., and they each have three road course wins apiece. Now, four road course winners in the Craftsman Truck Series are active this weekend. That'll be Ben Rhodes, who won the Daytona Road Course in 2021, Zane Smith, who won at Coda here in 2022. Parker Kligerman picked up the Mid-Ohio race in 2022. And then Kyle Busch, who won at Sonoma in 2022 as well. Now, last season, the total of five different drivers had an average finish of 10th or better in the three Craftsman Truck Series road course races. Zane Smith finished at a 1.7. Chandler Smith at a 5.3. Carson Hosovar at 5.7. Parker Kligerman at 9.0, and Grant Enfinger in the 10 range, I was at 10.6.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, now there's going to be several competitors that are pulling double duty action this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. It's a popular track amongst the drivers, and many are pulling their double duty this weekend, uh, such as Cup Series regulars Kyle Busch. Ross Chastain, Alex Bowman, and the Xfinity Series driver Kaz Grala will kick off their COTA weekends with the Expel 225. Now, the truck rates will be Bush's second start of this season. He made his first uh, 2023 start at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where he won the race from the pole position. So this will be Bush's second time behind the wheel of his number 51 KBM Chevrolet at the 3.41-mile Austin road course. Last year's race, he posted a third-place finish. Like Bush, Jastain has also made one truck series start this season, again at Las Vegas, but this is going to be his first Craftsman Truck Series start at COTA. He'll be getting... uh, He will be driving the number 41 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet, and although he hasn't ran Coda in a truck, he did get behind the wheel of a truck at Sonoma's 1.99-mile road course last year, and he finished fourth. Plus, he won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Coda just last season. Bowman is piloting the number 7 Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. He'll be posting his first Truck Series start of the season this weekend, Last year, he made a truck series start at Coda and ultimately finished in the 25th spot. Grawa is going to be behind the wheel of the number one Tricon Garage Toyota this weekend. He's made one truck series start this season, again, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and he enters this weekend's Expel 225 with two truck series starts at Coda. In 21, the inaugural race, he posted a runner-up finish. And last season, he finished 14th. So a lot of drivers getting some extra seat time on the road course this weekend.
1: Yeah, we'll talk more about that in the uh, other two series as well. But when we look at stats and figures, we'll take a Texas edition look at it. As I mentioned, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series headed to Circuit America for only the third time in history. Previous two racers have produced a different race winner and a different pole winner each time. The inaugural race in twenty twenty-one, it was Tyler Ankrum who won the pole with a speed of seventy five point zero four one, while Todd Gillen went on to win the race. In last season's CODA truck race, it was Sheldon Creed who had the fastest truck in qualifying. His speed was ninety point nine eight five And then Zane Smith ultimately went on to take the checkered flag. This year's uh, Expel 225 winner will look to take the Coda race record from Todd Gillen, a record he secured with a speed of 70.79. The Craftsman Truck Series will kick off the triple header this weekend with practice uh, tomorrow, Friday, March 24th. That'll be at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time followed by qualifying at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And it doesn't show it has TV coverage, so I don't know. Check Fox Sports 1, I guess.
0: Okay. Also, trucking in the great state of Texas. The Truck Series just wrapped up race number three at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and now they're trucking on over to Austin, Texas for the fourth race of the season. Again, it's the Expel 225 this Saturday, March the 25th. The race will be the first of a doubleheader Saturday. I love those doubleheader Saturdays. Uh, they'll feature the NASCAR Xfinity Series race along with the Truck Series race. The Xfinity Series drivers will take to the track at 5 p.m. Eastern time. The number 38 Ford seems to be a lucky truck at that uh, road course at Austin. As Todd Gilliland, we heard just heard, drove the number 38 to Victory Lane in the inaugural Coda race in 2021, and Zane Smith again accomplished that same feat in 22 once he got behind the wheel. Smith now has a chance to go back-to-back at the Texas road course and once again bring that 38-4 to victory lane. The Craftsman's Truck Series champ already has one win under his belt this season. That was at Daytona. He has two top fives and two top tens. So uh a little competition there I guess uh between Todd Gilliland and Zane Smith over who's gonna make it to race wins at uh Circuit of the Americas.
1: Well, you you heard us talk about several that are on the entry list. Uh they got some other tough competition. <laughs> Kyle Busch, Ty, yeah. uh Alex Bowman, uh Ross Chastain. So they got some tough competition in there with them to even Kyle make that Bush. happen.
0: They sure Kyle, do. Yep,
1: Kyle, that's right,
0: Kyle Busch. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but uh, I, I'm I'm going to have fun watching that race. Okay, next up we have the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They are going to be racing the Pit Box 250 presented by USA Today at Circuit of the Americas. Again, that's Saturday, March the 25th at 5 p.m. Eastern. It will be televised also on Fox Sports 1 at 4 p.m., uh, for pre-race coverage. PRN and Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, will also carry coverage. They'll be racing a distance of 156.86 miles, over 46 laps. The first stage ends on lap 14. Stage 2 is one lap longer and will end on lap 30. And then the final stage, another 16 laps, uh, one lap more, will end on the last lap, lap 46.
1: Well, as we transition to covering the truck series to the Xfinity, that's a normal transition for drivers, too. So we're going to start with Hosevar, as he's taking his signature fancy hat to the Xfinity series. He's a rising NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series star, at Carson Hosevar you'll be seeing this weekend attempting to compete in the NASCAR Xfinity series for the first time in his career. The Portage, Michigan native who has uh, been seen around the tracks wearing a signature hat. He's been tapped to pilot the number 07 SS Greenlight Racing Chevrolet with Crew Chief Mike Hillman here for this Xfinity Series race.
0: So it will be fun to see what hat he wears this weekend. Also, Derek Krauss, a familiar face, uh, will be joining Colleague Racing next weekend at Richmond Raceway behind the wheel of the number 10 Chevrolet to make his Xfinity Series debut now cross has been racing in the truck series since 2018 he's run three full-time seasons from 2020 to 22 and in 74 starts he's posted four top fives 26 top tens and he has a best standings finish of 11th so again that's uh, for that three-year period from 2020 to 2022 so he's got a chance to improve on that this season
1: Well, we talked about the competition on the truck side. Let's look at the top performers on road courses here in the Xfinity Series. And the first uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series race on a road course took place in 1986 at Road Road Atlanta. Uh, And the event was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Darrell Waltrip. It was the only road course on the schedule for that season. Fast forward to this season, and the Xfinity Series will take on seven road courses We've got this weekend, Circuit of Americas, Portland International Raceway on June 3rd, Sonoma Raceway will be on the 10th, Road America will be July 29th, then the Indianapolis Road Course will be in August on August 12th, and Watkins Glen International on the 19th, and then the final one, the Charlotte Roval on October 7th. Um, but, But before the competitors take to this track this weekend, let's look at the top performers for the series. In total, the NASCAR Xfinity Series has run 74 road course races all-time, which runs from 1982 up until the present. And they've produced 37 different race winners, led by, this is no surprise, Colleg Racing's A.J. Allmendinger with 10 different road course wins. Uh, four road course winners in the Xfinity Series are active this weekend, A.J. Allmendinger being one of them with his 10 victories. Justin Algar has three. Ty Gibbs has three, and then the ultimate underdog there, Jeremy Clemens, has his one win. Now, last season, the total of eight different drivers had an average finish of 15th or better in the six road course race races of the season. A.J. Allmendinger topped that list. Average finish, 2.0. Uh, Noah Gregson finished with a 6.3. Ty Gibbs at a 10.0. Josh Berry was at 10.8. Austin Hill, 12.8, Brandon Jones, a 13.3, Ryan C at a 14.3, and then Sam Mayer at
0: 14.5. Okay. Well, CODA is going to be the start of the Dash for Cash program this weekend. Uh, the program was designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and during four designated races to increase on-track competition, engage fans, and reward and recognize Xfinity Series regular competitors. So eligible Xfinity Series regulars, who are the top finishers at these designated events, will pocket cash bonuses. So this weekend's race at COTA will act as the qualifying race to find out the four eligible drivers with the first crack at that extra bonus. So the four events in the Dash for Cash initiative are, uh, so the, the top four drivers, regular, seri- regular Xfinity Series drivers, will qualify to run for that bonus at Richmond Raceway on April 1st, Martinsville Speedway. Uh, that race will determine who are the qualifiers to race for the bonus at Martinsville Speedway on a- April 15th. And then those four top drivers will compete at Talladega Super Speedway on April 22nd. And then those four drivers, the top four, will compete for the final bonus money at Dover Motor Speedway on April the 29th. The four eligible Xfinity Series regulars from each event will form the field for the next races bonus. So requirements for eligibility this year are similar to the 2022 structure. Drivers who have not declared to collect Xfinity Series points may not participate in the Series Playoff the Elimination events or Dash for Cash races. The list of restricted events also includes the Chicago Street Race on July the 1st. So, uh, very interesting. I always like the Dash for Cash. It's kind of a little uh, competition that goes on. This will be for the whole month of April. So, it's going to be fun to watch.
1: Okay, real quick here, Sharon, if I'm reading this correct, because I wondered about that. This weekend is the qualifying, but starting with the Richmond-Martinsville, then anybody that's not uh, going after Xfinity Series points can't even participate
0: in the race? They can participate in the race, they can't
1: participate in the dash for cash. Okay, that's it. We have not declared sixfinity series points, we may not participate in the series playoff elimination events or the dash for cash. See, I was reading that as they can't even be in the race. And I was wondering about oh, that okay. this weekend, but that's a but that's it's the qualifying one, it's not one of the four. We'll have to keep an eye on that and follow it along. But that's one of the programs I absolutely love here with the Xfinity Series doing that dash for cash.
0: Okay. Yeah. It it just says, drivers declared to collect Xfinity Series points. Oh, it does say dash for cash races. So I guess that's true. Uh, The other restricted event is that Chicago Street race on July 1st. So... Uh, yeah, they can't participate in the Dash for Cash, so we won't see uh, anybody but the regulars racing at Richmond, Martinsville, Talladega, and Dover.
1: That that makes it even that much more interesting. But when we look at the uh, Circuit of Americas, and I know that Cup Series is this way, but it's bringing in drivers from all over the Americas. As The NASCAR Xfinity Series will spice things up this weekend at COTA as two drivers from South America will attempt to qualify for the Pit Boss 250 presented by USA Today. Uh, one of the drivers that someone, that someone race fans have seen before in the Xfinity Series, and that's Miguel Paluto. Uh, the Brazilian driver has eight NASCAR Xfinity Series starts under his belt. He's made two starts at Austin Texas road course, placing in a top 10 finish last year in the number 88 uh, Chevrolet Virginia Motorsports. Now also joining, in, joining the NASCAR this weekend will be Baltzar Baltzar Legezman, Baltazar Legazamazan. Uh, Baltazar, yeah. Baltzar, Baltazar uh, uh who will be racing in hopes of becoming the first Argentinian driver to post a start in the NASCAR National Series race. Legazamazan will make his qualifying attempt behind the wheel of the number 74 Chevrolet for CHK Racing. Now, although the 22-year-old has yet to run some laps in the Xfinity Series car, he's got plenty of experience on road courses. He won the 2018 Atlantic Championship Series title and earned a runner-up championship finish in the inaugural season of F3 Americas. So those Very are the two cool. to keep your eye on this weekend.
0: I think so. <clears throat> okay, getting rowdy in Texas with uh, Coda coming up next. The Experi- Experi- Xfinity series, trying to make that one word, uh, just wrapped up its fifth race at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, and now they're gearing up for the first road course on the schedule. So that's the PitBox 250 presented by U.S. Today at circuit of the Americas. This road course is a relatively new track on the NASCAR circuit, having only produced two Xfinity Series races. There's been a different winner in Victory Lane in both years. Kyle Busch won the first race on in 2021, but it was AJ Allmendinger snagging the checkered flag last season. Now Busch won that race from his race from the pole position. He's not entered in this weekend's pit box two fifty, but Almondinger is pulling double duty in the number ten Chevrolet for Colleague Racing in hopes of pulling off a back to back win at Coda. Now the Road Course Ringer, uh Almondinger is not the only NASCAR Cup Series driver pulling double duty. Eric Almirola is also driving the number eight SS Greenlight Racing Chevrolet, and William Byron will be driving the number 17 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. Ty Gibbs, he'll be behind the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, and he also joins in on all that fun. So drivers will hit the track for practice on Friday, March 24th, At 6.30 p.m., Uh, they'll follow that up with qualifying at 7 p.m., and all of it will be streamed on Fox Sports 1.
1: Real quick, I just look at the the importance of this. Uh, A few years back, even, road courses kind of were events some guys would even opt to kind of skip or not put a whole lot of effort into. Uh, You can't do that no more, and these ringers, as we like to call them, really aren't ringers (laughs) anymore because everybody is such a good road course race. And you see it, some of these cup guys that are getting extra track time, whether it be in the Trucks or here in the Xfinity Series, putting a lot of effort into it.
0: They certainly are.
1: Now, we look at uh, last week at Atlanta. It was a hometown boy, Austin Hill, and he won again. Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill, proving right now he is the one to beat, having already snagged three wins in these first five races of the season. The last time a driver uh, won three of the first five races in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, you've got to go back to 2016 with driver Kyle Busch. Now here, the Winston native, Hill, raced his way to the checkered flag from the third starting position. He led three times for a race-high 103 of 163 laps, and it was his second win at Atlanta Motor Speedway, which is his home track. Now, Hill now prepares for the next race on the schedule this weekend's Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. Although he has yet to post a win on a road course in the Extremity Series, this very well could be the weekend he accomplishes that feat. Last season on the Texas 3.41-mile road course, Hill posted a runner-up finish. And he also did well on the other road courses last season, posting a third place in Portland. He was fourth at Road America, and then had a ninth-place finish at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. And again, with the hot car in hand right now, he might be one that's going to be tough to beat as well.
0: I think so. It is going to be uh, very interesting to see what happens uh, with uh, all these drivers that are uh, entered in the race this weekend. All right, next on our schedule here is the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas. This race will be on Sunday, March the 26th, my sister's birthday, uh, and it will be at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. It will be televised on Fox at 3 p.m. Eastern. It will be also on PRN and SiriusXM NASCAR radio They'll be covering a distance of 231.88 miles over 68 laps. Uh, Now, these laps, uh, Stage 1 ends on lap 15. Fifteen laps later, Stage 2 will end on lap 30. The last lap is 38 laps and will end on the last lap of 68. So uh, there's always a lot to cover here in the Cup Series, and this is no exception this, this week.
1: Well, Sharon, we're normally on the same page, so I hope I didn't miss the cue that I was supposed to sing "Happy Birthday" for your sister there. And I don't <laughs> think uh, I don't think you want that, so I'm just going to cover the Cup Series well, driver milestones Sunday. to watch. <laughs> okay, uh, cover some milestones this weekend for some Cup Series drivers over the next few or the next several races. Drivers in the NASCAR Cup Series will reach milestone starts if they continue to run full-time here in the series. When we look at this weekend at the Circuit of Americas on March 26th, College Racing's AJ Almendinger is going to be making his 400th career NASCAR Cup Series start. Then at Richmond Raceway in two weeks at, uh, on April 2nd, Team Penske's Austin Sindrick, just getting his career started, he'll be making his 50th career NASCAR Cup Series start. Then moving to Bristol Speedway. It'll be the Bristol Motor Speedway dirt race on April 9th. Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch, he'll be making his 650th NASCAR Cup Series career start. And Bush will become the 27th different NASCAR Cup Series driver uh, all time to make that 650 or more starts. And then to even top that, at Talladega Super Speedway on April 23rd, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick, he'll be making his 800th career NASCAR Cup Series uh, career start. And Harvick will become just the 10th different NASCAR Cup Series driver all time to make 800 or more starts in the series. And we know that streak will come to an wow. end at the end of the season with, yeah, about 830-ish.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's going to be so cool um, to see those milestones hit. Okay, also, actor Brendan Hunt is named the Grand Marshal for the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix. He's a two-time Emmy Award-winning actor, writer, and producer who co-stars in the Apple TV Plus global phenomenon, Ted Lasso. He will serve as the Grand Marshal this Sunday at the Circuit of the Americas here in the Cup Series, and will have the honor of providing the driver's start your Engines" command to the field before the race now hunt is best known for his role role as coach beard and ted lasso he's won consecutive emmy awards in 2021 and 22 for outstanding comedy series as the show's producer now hunt is a six-time emmy award nominee including five with ted lasso in 2021 he was a nominee for best supporting actor in a comedy series, as well as two nominations for Outstanding Writing for a comedy series. So that's going to be fun uh, to see Brendan Hunt giving the command this weekend.
1: But I like this guy,
0: too, this next guy. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, another title is the honorary starter, and that'll be Darius Rucker. And he'll perform a pre-race concert at COTA as well. The three-time Grammy Award winner, Darius Rucker, will perform his chart-topping hit during a one-hour pre-race concert prior to the Eco Park Automotive Grand Prix NASCAR Cup Series race this Sunday. Um, Tucker, uh, Rucker, sorry, has been named the honorary starter for the event. And Darius Rucker first achieved multi-platinum status in the music industry, As a lead singer and rhythm guitarist for the Grammy Award-winning band Hootie and the Blowfish, who have sold more than 25 million albums worldwide, including their Diamond-certified debut, Cracked Rear View, uh, which remains among the top ten best-selling studio albums of all time. Since releasing his first country album in 2008, Rucker has earned a whole new legion of fans with, number one, with four number one albums on the Billboard country chart. Those include RIAA Platinum Certified, Learn to Live, and True Believers, plus number one, 10 number one singles at country radio, and 11 gold platinum or multi-platinum certified hits. Rucker was inducted as a Grand Ole Opry member in 2012, and in 2014, he won his third that third career Grammy Award for Best Solo Country Performance with his nine-time platinum version of the Old Crow Medicine Show's "Wagon Wheel," which is one of the top five best-selling country songs of all time. So that'll be a honorary Very starter.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's going to be cool to see uh, a one-hour concert before the race. Uh, that's a that's a big treat for uh, the fans for sure. Next, we're going to take a look at the uh, top performers in the next-gen last season on road courses. So the Cup Series last year competed on six course, road courses in the newly introduced uh, NASCAR next-gen car. Now the Series is about to embark on the first of six different road courses for this season. But before they do, we're going to take a look at those top performers on road courses last season with this new car. So wins, there's five different drivers who've won on road courses in the next-gen car. That's led by Tyler Ruddick, who scored two victories last in 2022 at Road America and at Indianapolis' road course. Uh, the other four winners were Ross Chastain at COTA, Daniel Suarez at Sonoma, Kyle Larson at Watkins Glen International, and Christopher Bell, who won on the Charlotte Roval. Runner-up finishes six different drivers finished runner-up on the six road course races in the cup series last year they include alex bowman at coda chris busher at sonoma chase elliott at road america austin sindrick on the indianapolis road course aj Almondinger at watkins Glen, and kevin harvick on the charlotte roval top fives There's 18 different drivers who scored top five finishes in the six road course races run last season. Uh, They're led by Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, and Tyler Reddick, who all have three top fives apiece. For top tens, a total of 26 drivers posted a top ten finish on the six road courses, and that's led by Chris Buescher and Tyler Reddick. They each have five top top tens each. Average finishes, a total of five different drivers had an average finish of 10th or better on the six road courses last year. Chase Elliott, a 9.0, along with Chris Busher at a 9.0, Austin Sindrick 9.3, Tyler Reddick, 9.5, and Michael McDowell at 10.8. Those are all pretty darn close.
1: They were indeed, and you mentioned that this is a new, new car and a new track, so Jimmy Johnson is looking to check off the bucket list item this weekend at Coda. A seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion and current owner and driver at Legacy Motor Club, Jimmy Johnson will be returning to the NASCAR Cup Series this weekend at the Circuit of Americas. It will be his second start as part of his 10-race part-time schedule for 2023. Johnson made his return to the series in the season-opening Daytona 500, where he started 39th and finished 31st. 31st. Throughout Johnson's NASCAR Cup Series career, he's made 40 starts on road courses, road courses, posting one win at Sonoma in 2010, nine top fives and 20 top ten. Most recent NASCAR Cup Series start on a road course? Got to go back to October 11th, 2020, I was at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval where he started 30th and raced his way up to a 13th place finish. But Coda has obviously been a a track that a lot of drivers want to put on their bucket list and compete at. Johnson's going to do that this weekend, as well as some other international ones.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think this is going to be uh, a lot of fun. Okay, next up here we've got uh, Button, Raikkonen, and Taylor also racing in the Cup Series at COTA this weekend. Uh, The announcements uh, came from Formula One champions, Jensen Button, Kimi Räikkönen, and IMSA WeatherTech sports car champion Jordan Taylor, all coming to the NASCAR Cup Series to compete in the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas. Let's start with Rick Ware racing Mobile One, and Mobile One, have worked in conjunction to bring the 2009 Formula One world champion Jensen Button to NASCAR to compete in three races this season. Of course, that all starts at the Circuit of the Americas on March 26th. He'll also be racing the Chicago Street course on July 2nd and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course on August the 13th. This weekend, Button a native of Frome, England, will attempt to make his series debut piloting the number 15 Rick Ware Racing Chevrolet. And his crew chief this weekend is Billy Plurde uh, on top of the pit box. 43-year-old driver who's won 15 races in 306 career Formula One starts. His final start came in 2017, and his last full-time F1 season was in 2016. That actually refers to uh, Jensen Button. So, uh, but the next driver we're going to talk about is uh, returning to the Cup Series this weekend after making a career de- debut last year at Watkins Glen. Uh, he is the 2007 Formula One world champion, Kimi Raikkonen. The driver from Espoo, Finland, will be back in Trackhouse Racing's Project No. 91 Chevrolet with crew chief Darian Grubb on top of the pit box. This is Reagan's second stint in the Project 91 car. He helped introduce the program last season at Watkins Glen, and the 43-year-old driver started the race at the Glen in 27th but was caught up in an accident exiting the bus stop and relegated him to a 37th place finish. So I'm sure he's looking forward to uh, uh, running a full race this year. Button is making the Cup Series debut this weekend at the uh, Circuit of the Americas uh, and will be IMSA WeatherTech Sports along with uh, IMSA sports car Champion Jordan Taylor, who's been selected to replace an injured Chase Elliott in that number nine Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet on road courses until Elliott is healthy enough to return. Now, Taylor is working with crew chief Tom Gray this weekend. Uh, Taylor is from Orlando, Florida, and has also been tapped as the fourth driver in the NASCAR Garage 56 project that will have an adapted NASCAR next-gen car compete in the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year. Uh, he also uh there's a story about him on uh I was it North Wilkes let me check here. I think it was Racing America. About Jordan Taylor, yes. Uh over at Racing America there's a great article about Jordan Taylor, Once in a Lifetime Opportunity at Coda. I highly recommend everybody to read that because uh Uh, He talks about how he found out that he was going to be racing that number nine at Coda. So uh, it's an interesting read. He's one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, uh, there's some tough competition there. But as I mentioned, NASCAR drivers have become aces themselves. So let's look at some NASCAR cases to watch this Sunday. As we head into the weekend of the Circuit of Americas, the NASCAR Cup Series, has 12 former road course winners entered in the Eco Park Automotive Grand Prix this Sunday, which will be on Fox, PRN, and Sirius XM Radio. Eleven of them are looking for their first win of 2023 in the NASCAR Cup Series season. Uh, the only exceptions there are Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. Now, three new drivers are, were added to the NASCAR Cup Series road course winners list last season. They include track house racing teammates Ross Chastain, who won his first career Cup Series race at the Circuit of Americas here last year, and then Daniel Suarez, who earned his first career Cup Series, win out at Sonoma Raceway in California. And that's not to mention the 2311 Racing's Tyler Reddick. He earned two road course wins last season, driving for Richard Childress Racing, coming at Road America and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. Of the three, Chastain, Suarez, and Redick, the pre-race loop data stats are pointed to Ross Chastain as well on the watch for this weekend at CODA. In his two starts at the 3.42-mile course, he has posted one win, two top fives. He leads the series in average finish with a 2.5. Average running position is a 6.785. And the driver rating with a 125.8 fastest laps run at 20 and laps in the 20 top or sorry laps in the top 15 which was 112 laps and that equals a 91.1 percent so we look at active road course winners uh, i mentioned 12 of them kyle Busch has four wins two at sonoma two at watkins glen martin Truix also has four his is a little heavier weighted three at sonoma one at watkins glen Kyle Larson has four, spread it out over three tracks. Sonoma, two at Watkins Glen, and then one at the Charlotte Roval. Kevin Harvick has a pair at Sonoma and Watkins Glen. A.J. Allmendinger, his are a little bit different, Watkins Glen, and then the Indy road course, Christopher Bell has two. His come at uh, Charlotte and at Daytona, the two self-built Roval and road course at Daytona. Tyler Reddick's, two mentioned at Indianapolis Road Course and then Road America. Joey Logano's one came at Watkins Glen. Ryan Blaney was at Charlotte at the Roval. Denny Hamlin's comes from Watkins Glen. Daniel Suarez was at Sonoma. Jimmy Johnson's also out at Sonoma. And then Ross Jastain picking up the victory here at CODA. Now, with the current active Cup Series Road Course wins leader this weekend, Chase Elliott, who has a career seven road course wins, still being sidelined with that broken leg. That leaves these three drivers assuming the role this weekend at Circuit of Americas, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, and Kyle Larson, each with the four road course victories in their careers, while none of them have come at CODA. But also on the active road course wins leader, Busch, Truex, and Larson, the pre-race loop data here are pointing to Kyle Busch as having the most success this week at Circuit of Americas. He ranks in the top five in nearly every category, as it usually does. Uh, average running position is 9.065, which is second best. Driver rating, 92.4, which is ninth best. Fastest laps run is nine, which is third best. Laps in the top 15 is 102, which is 82.9%. It puts him at second most and the quality passes at 80, which is second most. Now, probably the hungriest to revisit victory lane of these three active road course wins leaders is Joe Gibbs Racing's Martin Truex, who hasn't won a points-playing race now in the NASCAR Cup Series race since Richmond on September 11th of 2021, which is 49 races ago. Three of Truex's four road course wins have come at Sonoma Raceway in 2013, 18, and 19, He earned his fourth at Watkins Glen in 2017. The veteran from New Jersey ran well at Coda last season, where he posted a seventh-place finish after starting 17th.
0: Wow. Okay, let's take a look at the uh, series points leader, Joey Logano, who dominated Atlanta last week. He's hoping to keep that success rolling at uh, Coda this weekend. Uh, Team Penske's Joey Logano led 130 of 260 laps and passed RFK Racing driver Brad Keselowski to win and has leaped into the NASCAR Cup Series point standings lead by one point over Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell, who sits in second place. Holding the point standings lead for the second time already this season, Logano's win has also etched his name on the list of 2023 playoff drivers to secure their spot. He joins Ricky Stenhouse Jr., William Byron, and Kyle Busch, who also have wins. He also earned a spot in this year's Cup Series All-Star Race, which will be held at the newly renovated North Wilkesboro Speedway on May 21st. This 32-year-old driver will look to extend his points lead and get his first series career win at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Logano is already an established road course racer in the series. He took a win at Watkins Glen in 2015. In his two series starts at the Circuit of the Americas, he's put up one top five. Uh, That was a third-place finish and an average finish of 17.0. Last year at Coda, he started sixth and ran well, but he was caught up in a late-race incident that uh, relegated him to a 31st-place finish. Uh, Now we know Joy Legado wants to do better than that this weekend.
1: Oh, I think we'll see him do that with the uh, year he is having, so we'll have to wait and see, though. With that, we got a little bit of a new... Package here as NASCAR introduced the new package for short tracks as well as road courses. NASCAR announced the season update to the components of the NASCAR Cup Series car for races held at road courses and the short tracks, excluding Bristol, which will be on dirt, and then Dover. Now the road course and selected short track package consists of the following: Uh, it'll be a two-inch spoiler removal. Removal of the engine panel strakes, I hope nobody calls in and asks any questions on these. <laughs> uh, remove <laughs> the center and inner diffuser strakes, uh, only the outer diffuser strakes will remain installed. Spacers will be installed in between the diffuser flap and the diffuser due to removing the inner diffuser strakes. i was also going to remove the diffuser fences and replace with baseline fences. The splitter stuffers will remain unchanged from the current components. These rules are in place at the following tracks. You mentioned uh, Charlotte Roval, the Chicago Street Course, Circuit of the Americas, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, Martinsville, New Hampshire, North Wilkesville for the All-Star Race, Phoenix, Richmond, and then Sonoma and Watkins Glen as the other two road courses. Uh, So that the teams can have the additional track time to adjust with these new components, NASCAR has made the Circuit of Americas an extended practice weekend. That means they'll get a 50-minute practice that's scheduled uh, for Friday tomorrow afternoon from 1.05 to 1.55 p.m. local time. Again, I will have to check to see if that's covered on uh, television.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, But you can check that out. Okay, our final segment here is the Circuit of America Sets the Stage for the Cup Series. Uh, Crank up the lights and focus in the cameras because the stage is set for the Cup Series to return to one of the country's premier tracks, and of course that is Circuit of the Americas for the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix this Sunday. Uh, The Cup Series teams are preparing for the first of six road and street courses on the 23 schedule, uh, this one, uh, this weekend, March 26th, Sonoma Raceway on June the 11th, the Chicago Street Course on July 2nd, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course is on August 13th, Watkins Glen International on August 20th, and then Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval on October the 8th. On 1,000... 500 acres of land just outside of Austin, Texas. Construction began in 2010 on what is now known as the Circuit of the Americas. The 20-turn, 3.41-mile multi-elevational counterclockwise circuit takes advantage of the naturally rolling landscape, including a 133-foot hill at turn one. Now, the track also has an amphitheater. It's the largest permanent outdoor amphitheater in central Texas and a 251-foot observation tower. The sprawling Circuit of the Americas Road Course has hosted two Cup Series races. We've covered that in 21 and 22, and the inaugural event was actually held on May 23rd of 21, but it was shortened from its scheduled 68 laps to 54 because of inclement weather. (coughs) Excuse me. The race produced 11 lead changes among 10 different leaders, but it was Hendrick Motorsports driver and 2020 NASCAR Cup Series champion Chase Elliott that won that inaugural event under caution. The series returns to the Uh, road course this weekend they returned there in 2022 and this time ran the full scheduled length of 68 laps they had 13 lead changes among nine different leaders and the final lead change of the nascar cup series march 27 of 22 race took place with two laps to go This time it was Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain passing Tyler Ruddick for the lead, and he went on to win his first career Cup Series race. Last season's race was also the premiere of the next-gen car on the road course, and uh, it didn't disappoint. The Circuit of the Americas produced uh, a NASCAR Cup Series record for green flag passes for the lead on a road course Uh, On road course tracks with 30 green flag passes for the lead. The previous record was held by Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course with 22 green flag passes for the lead, and that also was in 2021. Now, this weekend's on-track activity for the Cup Series begins with practice. That's tomorrow, the 24th, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by the Bush Light Poll qualifying on Saturday, March 25th, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Both events will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So. Uh, We've got so much to look forward to this weekend. I love this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. It's one of my favorite weekends of racing. So um, I know this will only be the third time they've been there, Jay, but uh, I think it it uh, really is a fun track, and I'm excited to have NASCAR be able to race there.
3: It is,
1: and it's one of those um, – I know we we got – a good 10 minutes here. I know we're going to do a fantasy recap. Uh, I was trying to stall long enough because I did not have such a good weekend, but I'll, I'll cover that here. Oh. <laughs> um, one of the topics, though, that came up on Sirius XM Radio was if this was becoming kind of a replacement for the Indianapolis Brickyard as far as one of the crown jewels. Just based on uh-huh. the fact that so many drivers, and we saw the list of drivers that are running this weekend, want to make a start in the NASCAR Cup Series at this particular track. So if it's the track that kind of brings that fame to it, and whether or not it would replace that. I thought it was an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, Maybe we've got a fifth crown jewel. I don't know. But uh, I would hate to see Indianapolis be replaced. But um, I do think that uh, Circuit of the Americas has a prestige to it. Uh, that uh, a lot of other places don't have. And when you've got drivers like Jensen Button, Kimi Reckonen, and uh, Jordan Taylor all wanting to race at this track in NASCAR, uh, I think that speaks for itself.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it certainly does. And, and I know Indianapolis kind of, uh, I don't know if it went away, but especially being that they're not running on the Oval currently, we don't know what how that may change in the years to come, but the road course certainly didn't hold up the same aspect of, a, of one of the crown jewel events as did the oval track. Um, so it'll be interesting to see then if the, if the oval itself comes back. And we've heard some discussion on that back and forth. But like I said, I thought it was an interesting topic they had for the driving topic, of the day, um, being that we've had such the entry list that we have had, especially this year, for this Coda race.
0: Yeah, you know, I really want to go to one of the race weekends there. I've been there twice. I love the track. I went once uh to watch the fireworks there for 4th of July and then once uh, at Christmas time to see the Christmas display there. And we actually got to drive on the track uh for for that event. Uh but uh even though I've been there twice, I've yet to see a race there. And so one of these years, I'm definitely going to have to get out there
1: to see the race. Well, that, that's more than, uh, than I've gotten to do, uh, so take that for uh, what it's worth. I think that would be a cool spot to see some different things. And I love tracks that do that, um, not just the race weekends, but have different events like that that you can be at the track and, and a part of an activity at the track and not just open on race weekends, if you will.
0: Absolutely. Now, tomorrow, one of the big events tomorrow is Ross Tastain, uh going to the top of the tower and uh, dropping a watermelon. That should be uh, pretty spectacular.
1: Oh, wow. I can't even imagine that.
0: <laughs> I hope he picks a really uh, maybe not quite so ripe one <laughs> to do that with.
1: I was going to say, from that height, I don't know that you're going to have much left to snack on by the time it hits. Uh, I think that's going to be just complete liquid.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, But, Jay, I know we've solved it for a little while here for you to kind of get ready, because uh, I know I haven't had the best year this year either, uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. For our our fantasy fantasy group,
1: I'll tell you this: going into Coda, I had two of the three series first picks because of how I did last week, and I had one of the first picks last weekend too. Didn't do me any good, but we'll look at the points. Well, I had the other first pick. Right. (laughs) Uh, Hold on a second. Let me get my dog out of here. Get down. Okay. Uh, On the truck series, there was some shuffling at the top. Sam went to the top of the board with 18 points. Sharon, you are now second with 17. Uh, Andy James tied at 15. Then Brian at 13, Owen 12. Tommy 11. And Mike pulled away from me, unfortunately. He's now got seven points. I still only have three. And that's after three races. So that (laughs) one's a tough one for me.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: On the Xfinity side, uh, Mike is at the top now, 31 points total. Sharon, you're second here again, 29 points. James and myself are tied at 24. Tommy's at 19, Owen 18. Sam at 17. And then Brian at 12 and Andy at 10. So we got two kind of down at the bottom in this series as well. Rest of it, still pretty tight and competitive even here early on.
0: Now, this On is the where side. really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there's two at the bottom here, and you're going to be in that category with Mike. But we'll start at the top. Uh, Brian's got 46 points. I'm second with 42. James right behind me, 39. Tommy, 36. Owen, 34. Sam, 33. A little bit of a gap to Andy at 25. Then, Sharon, you got 19, and Mike has 18. <laughs>
0: Wow!
1: So when you He took
0: my pick add, all though, those, add all those.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know he was drooling over the cup pick. He really wanted to take the uh, Hendrick Motorsports number nine, but you got to had that opportunity, as you said.
0: Well, I guess there was a payoff anyway.
1: <laughs> now, when we add all those up. Uh, Total points, James is still leading, I think, has pretty much all season. He's got 78 points. Brian got ahead of me. He's at 71 now. Myself and – no, I'm at 69. Sam at 68. Tommy, 66. Sharon, 65. Owen, 64. And then Mike, 56, and Andy, 50. And I know I joke with Mike especially a lot, Andy, and I've gone back and forth as well as James and I. Again, we're just having fun. There's no money on the line. It's all about just yeah. uh having some fun and trash talking <laughs> comes with that, so uh wanna make sure we cover that but it's all in yeah, fun. Yeah, we
0: do have fun with it. Yeah, we do have a lot of fun with it. To me it makes the race a lot more fun to watch. I kinda keep track of where everybody's driver is and if my driver needs who my driver needs to pass in order for me to get more points. So it gives me a different dimension to the race. <laughs>
1: well, and we do it as a family family thing too. Um, I think there we throw in five bucks, and then a winner gets the pot. And I think there's maybe ten of us um, that do that. And that one's a little got a little twist to it. I know every every series you do or uh, group you're in, you pick two drivers, but you can't pick the same driver in two consecutive weeks. So. Uh, That one, again, there's a little more strategy to that one. Um, You know, Mike was talking about sandbagging. That one's a little different of if you want a driver at a particular track, you can't pick them the week before.
0: Yeah, that would put a different dimension to it uh, for sure Uh, and a little extra emphasis on uh, really thinking about who you're picking and when you're picking them.
1: Well, and so so far there this season, I, I do uh, right down the middle. I think it was California. I had Kyle and Kyle. Uh, one of them finished top five. One of them finished bottom five. So I kind of hang right in the middle when you average it out because I tend to pick one at the front and one at the back.
0: <laughs> well, I think we all make really good picks for the most part. And uh, I, I think, you know, my driver was Kevin Harvick, and he just ran into some bad luck last week. He was running a good race up until... Uh, he ran into that uh, uh, situation there uh, and that's what happens you know your driver doesn't always come in at the top like you expect and uh, that's what happens
4: well I will say that
1: you're right um, you know and I know uh, maybe in the truck series there's a little less as far as what we consider uh, regular weekly contenders but on a fairly regular basis we've got nine players here at fan for racing um, I All nine picks being in the top 10 to 15. I think we've had all nine be in the top 10 uh, once, maybe twice. But they're regularly all within the top 15. But like you said, occasionally you have that one, whether it's the expected pick. I mean, this weekend I started, as I said, I got first pick. I went with Corey Heim last year's winner. I don't know where in the race he ended up out. I know he was having problems, but he ended up out. So, yeah, first pick I get again this week hopefully does a little bit better.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hope so, too. I hope my first pick does better uh, in that Cup Series, for sure. Uh, I think it's going to be fun to see what he does in a a NASCAR machine. He's been racing a NASCAR car at Circuit of the Americas, and uh, I I think he's had some seat time in that uh, Garage 56 entry. Uh, I know that's a sports car that he's been driving, uh, but uh, They're planning to race uh, one of the races coming up here uh, this year, uh, that Garage 56 entry in the IMSA series. So uh, he's been having some seat time there, and I I know that uh, he's coached a lot of uh, drivers, too, on road course racing. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does for sure.
1: Well, and I mentioned that on the cup side, you and Mike with the first two picks. You we went with uh, Jordan Taylor there and Justin uh, Button as the top two. I think on Xfinity Series, eh, we only got a few of them. William Byron Tyrant, Ty Gibbs, A.J. Almendinger, Miguel Paluto, and Cole Custer are the ones that have gone so far. I think we're waiting on Owen and then James. I already got his pick. Uh, the truck side, I think we're waiting on two. Yeah, Owen and Sam. But Majesty, Kligerman. Bowman, Zane Smith, Matt De Benedetto, Ross Jastain, and Kyle Bush all picked there so far. So we'll see who Owen and Sam come with with their picks before this weekend. So, uh, again, have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I know we've had some different changes throughout the year, but keep adding people. Uh, have a lot of fun with it.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, Jay, thank you so much for uh, taking care of that for us. We always appreciate it. Uh, but now it is the top of the hour, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topics Sound Off. Uh, and we're, we're always looking for topics, uh, what we can talk about. And there's never a shortage uh, in supply. So our first up here is uh, Mike Gorzel. Welcome to the show, Mike.
3: Hey, oh, so I called and it was just in time to get some salt poured into the wound. I've been waiting to, to pick Jordan Taylor for, oh, a solid month now. And, you know, I was waiting for about three days for, for Sharon to make her pick. And, and then she did. <laughs> and my disappointment was immeasurable and my day was ruined. Oh, but here I am.
0: I'm sure you will survive and we'll see what happens this weekend at circuit of the Americas. Um
3: I just know that Jay isn't happy if I am. So therefore I know Jay is smiling ear to ear right now.
1: Actually Mike, I am Mike, I am really upset too because I'm not the one that got to ruin your day. So that's why I'm upset.
0: <laughs> well, and but you know the problem is is that I like Jordan Taylor as well. Uh, we've had him on the show here, and he is a lot of fun to talk to. If you ever get a chance to talk to him, um, so I, I, don't I don't know would if you saw in like the race pick, chat. Him as
3: well. I don't know if you saw in the race chat uh, for the race last week, but Andy and I were both hoping that our guys would finish poorly. So when Bubba Wallace crashed early in the race, Andy was excited, thinking he was going to get Jordan Taylor. And then the big wreck happened, and I was excited thinking that I was going to get Jordan Taylor because I had William Byron, but then they ended up scoring Kevin Harvick, one position behind my pick of William Byron. So you snaked snaked Jordan Taylor from me by one position. But I agree with what you all said prior to uh, to starting the Hot Topics sound off. Uh, I think out of all the road course ringers we've ever had in this series, and that's a broad brush, I think Jordan Taylor probably has the best chance of anybody ever – To break into the Cup Series and win his first race in a NASCAR Cup car for all the reasons you guys stated.
0: Well, we'll we'll have to wait and see if it happens. I might end up uh, out in a wreck or something too with Jordan Taylor. So uh, I hope not. I hope he goes out there and shows uh, the talent that he has and wins the race. But we'll have to wait and see what happens on Sunday.
3: But we've got another. Well, for Jordan uh, Taylor fans, it's probably good that I didn't pick him.
0: Well, I think all of us have had a race or two that's uh, kind of fallen that way. Uh, but I want to make sure we get Andy in on the conversation here. Andy,
4: I know you're here. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Sharon. Yeah, just listening to you guys. and uh, I was so confident that I was going to be able to pick Jordan, and then it just didn't work out. But it's a great pick, Sharon. I, I think, like Mike said, he's, he's going to be um, someone to – really be reckoned with this weekend it should be fun to watch and i'm just really excited to have drivers from other disciplines here this weekend this is an incredible weekend ahead for you know the drivers that are coming over to do this race
0: yeah it really is and jay you brought this up a couple of times tonight as we've been talking uh we've got a lot of drivers in the cup series that are very proficient road course races as well and so uh, you never know who could be the one that comes up with that victory this on Sunday. You want to add anything to that, Jay?
1: No, I think I think it's going to make it that much more interesting. Like I said, when when these top aces used to come in, the Cup Series drivers kind of looked at the two road course races as throwaway throw events, not real important. You had those season-long point standings they could give up a race or two. You can't do that no more. And a lot of these guys, like you mentioned, Jordan Taylor is working as a driver coach. They're learning from these drivers because the road course races are now seven, six, or seven in the season. Makes up a good chunk of their season. So they're not just still in these races anyway anymore. It's important to win, and we saw that from Ross Chastain uh, and Alex Bowman. And who was the third driver in that last year? It was a trio. Chastain, Bowman, and... AJ Almondinger. Almondinger. Mhm.
0: Yep. yep. So
1: that tells you how important so, it is.
0: It is important. It's gonna be fun to watch. I I can't wait uh for Sunday to get here. I'm I'm very anxious. Okay, Andy, I'm gonna let you pick our first hot topic here tonight.
4: Yes, yeah, Aaron um I apologize in advance. I'm not sure this one's on the list, but something that I was okay, thinking that's... about earlier this week. Um as it pertains specifically to this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. But for the first time since we've had the stage racing era, we are not going to have caution flags this weekend. Stage points will be awarded, but the race will remain green. Thoughts on that, because that's going to be quite a change from what we've seen recently.
0: Yeah, I did see that, Andy. So, Mike, what are your thoughts about uh, no stage breaks? this weekend i've kind of uh, got some mixed thoughts
3: on it to be honest with you um on one hand i like that they're not going to be throwing the pre-planned cautions at the road course races i think more than any any other type of racing the road course races really suffered from that because it took away a lot of the strategy that used to be a big part of road course racing where having that pre-planned caution it really it, it It short-circuited a lot of that. Do we do a two-pit stop race, a three-pit stop race? When do we stop? Things like that. I think it took a lot of that away. We would still see it from time to time, but it became a lot less common in the stage racing era. So I am happy to see that. On the other hand, I don't like that it's an inconsistent kind of thing across the season. They're still throwing cautions at every other type of race in the NASCAR cup series and the other three major series for that matter, they're still throwing a pre-plan caution at all those races. So now they've taken what was supposed to be a big moment in the race of, Hey, we want them racing to something that matters at the, in these middle parts of the race and give them this, this win per se of a stage. And they've taken that away from the road course races. So it's kind of defeated the purpose there a little bit. Um, some people are getting real excited thinking this is the first, Domino to fall to the death of stage racing and they 're getting all excited about that i don 't know that we 're going down that road yet or not, but I would like to see some consistency if they if they want to get rid of the pre planned caution for the stage break i don 't know if i 'd necessarily be opposed to that, but then again, with how the races get stretched out, there was a reason that they they went with the stage break to begin with but with NASCAR wasting so much time under caution lately, I'm not sure which, which way I want to go here. So I know I've kind of wishy-washed back and forth, and I really don't have a straight answer, but that's, that's what i got for you right now.
0: Okay, Jay, your thoughts?
1: <clears throat> no, Mike, hit on two, the two real key elements, uh, one being especially on road courses that it was. It did affect. I won't say took away strategy, but it certainly affected the strategy Um, And that goes back to, I believe it was Jeff Boudin, the first one at Sonoma, that worked the race backwards um, as far as how many laps they could run. Uh, Everybody thought he screwed up, came to pit road early. Turned out he ended up winning. Um, That's how road courses began then changing their philosophy on how they called the strategy. So it did affect that. This will be kind of a test, I think, to find a combination of where NASCAR wants to go with stage racing. When they implemented it, part of the aspect to it was a TV break. You have the guaranteed caution. You're not going to miss any race action, as well as then a quick, call it an interview, but chat with normally it's the leading driver after they come off pit road that you can get that in. So there was a lot of components to why they implemented the actual stoppage of the race. Um, I think it is. It certainly provided better racing in that middle portion of the of the race. The question is, is whether or not that ca- that caution flag or break actually comes in, if we'll still see that, and that'll be based on communication from the crew uh, crew chief, the spotter, whatever. Of hey, we're coming up on that mark. If you're towards the front, you want to be in that top ten and get these points because they're still going to be awarded. It just won't actually be a stop on the track. So I see both sides to it, and and like Mike said, it it could affect the actual future. I don't see stage racing going away. I think overall that has been great for the sport, Um, the racing in those middle parts of the race, as well as what it does for the playoffs. I mean, we talk about one point here, one point there. You can earn those, and it also helps when you have the bad day. You may have run in the top five all day, end up in a wreck late, you get last points finished but you've earned some extra points. So it doesn't quite sting as bad. Um, you know, I think drivers appreciate that as far as, hey, we ran good all day. We just didn't quite have the finish. Kind of equals that out a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I think this is a case of where NASCAR gets the blame for what the drivers are doing on the track. Uh, if you remember the road course race last year, uh, there was a mess in the turns. With drivers competing for stage points and, and, and they really botched up the race, uh, to try to everybody all at once, uh, go through those turns and there's not room for everybody to go all at once in those turns. And so I think this is NASCAR's attempt to eliminate that from happening, uh, in this year's race. Uh, but, I think they're, it's more of a reaction from NASCAR than a proactive move on NASCAR's part. Uh, I think they're reacting to how the drivers were driving. And it goes back to what Kyle Busch is saying. Uh, a lot of the drivers, uh, even at um, Atlanta last week, the two races uh, between the Xfinity and the truck series, yeah, I know they were racing on a green track. It was and it took them a while to get the um, rubber on the track and to settle it in. By the time we got to the Cup race, it seemed to be a lot more tame. But I also think that the drivers in the Xfinity and the uh, uh, Truck Series are a lot more aggressive. I'm not saying that we don't have aggressive drivers in the in the Cup Series, but I think there are more inexperienced aggressive drivers that are racing in the other two series and i think it makes for the messy racing that we saw at atlanta uh in those two series last week uh and that's that's what we saw happening on the road course uh, as well last year when a lot of these drivers were going for those stage points so again I, i like to kind of put it into perspective uh, with where a lot of this is coming from because I don't think a lot of people realize it was drivers grabbing for those uh, stage points last year that kind of uh, gave NASCAR the the idea to maybe eliminate the stages on the road course for this year. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, and, and if the drivers kind of uh, tame themselves a little bit, Uh, in in those tight corners where you can't put all of the cars uh, in the same place. Uh, I'll be anxious to see how that does play out this year. I hope we have good weather uh, for this race so that we can see it play out. But rain or shine, they will have the race. Andy?
4: Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this change you know, and, and you've already all touched on the main reasons why, which is, is, is the the strategy aspect of it. I think that with the stage breaks, in my mind, it really took a lot of the crew chief's ability to to use strategy because when,
3: you know, or,
4: or really make it predictable, oftentimes you either pit at the stage break or you pit a couple laps prior to the stage break so you can stay out. So it became pretty predictable as as far as what teams were going to do through the course of the race. And so now going back to the way it once was, I think that there's going to be uh, more strategy involved and it puts it more back into the team's hands as far as what they want to do. And now with the caution flags being unpredictable, it could possibly throw some wrenches into some teams' plans and and maybe bring some critical thinking back into it. So I, I think it's a good thing. I understand why we have the stage breaks from an entertainment standpoint. It bunches the field back up and and makes the restarts exciting. I get that. I get why it was done in the first place. But I'm not sure it was ever really necessary at road courses. You know, Sharon, and to your point, talking about the restarts, I mean, we, we know what mayhem ensued at the Indianapolis road course and has taken place in some other places and you know, maybe we we lose some of that this weekend and and put more of the focus back on the the racing at hand and the strategy, and I think that's a good thing. I think road course races put on a fairly good enough show as it is to where we don't really need fabricated cautions, and and, uh, hopefully that strategy aspect coming back into play this weekend will hopefully make the race more entertaining and and fun to watch.
0: Okay, Mike, your follow-up?
3: Not really a whole lot to follow up. We're gonna to have to see how that plays out as far as the strategy is concerned. Like Andy said, you don't have that pre-planned caution to work around there. That's not to say that somebody can't yeah, try to make a move to get a couple of stage points and could bring out the caution on their own. So I would say that there's still possibly a higher likelihood of cautions around that stage break time if somebody is trying to make an ill-advised move to get the points. But to your point, Sharon, Uh, I do hope that it it helps fix some of this. I I don't mind aggressive driving. It's racing. That's what racing is, is aggressive driving. But the the dumb driving, the I'm not even going to try and make the turn because I'm going to use my wheels and your wheels to try and make the turn. Good luck, everybody. That kind of racing I think has really hurt road course racing in NASCAR over the past year or two. Road course racing used to be some of my favorite races in the entire series. It was great. I was so excited when they added more of them. But unfortunately, the current trajectory of road course racing has been kind of concerning where drivers seem to care less and less about actually trying to make the turn and just try and dive bomb as hard as they can, make as much contact as they feel like they need to, shove everybody else out of the way, and whatever happens, happens. And I think the Gen 7 car really aggravated that because the car can take so much of a beating, and these guys know it. They can just door slam somebody, and they're going to get away with it because it's unlikely they're going to cut a tire down. So to your point, Sharon, I hope some of that, we don't see some of that ugly racing this year, starting at Circuit of the Americas, but also in our other road course tracks coming up here soon in the season. First of many coming.
0: And Jay, a follow-up?
1: Well, between what what Sharon said there and what Mike just said, it, it kind of puts me on the other side of I don't think they should take it away. Uh, initially, like I said, I understood it definitely changed the strategy in how you ran a road course. But there's also some short tracks that are the same way, and that's where I'm with Mike. I don't like the inconsistency of you have this set of rules for uh, these particular races and then these set of rules for other races. But what you just said there when it talks about, and I know Indianapolis road course is one that gets highlighted, following a stage break, they all dove into turn one, nobody tried to turn however it went. But that's not something you can fix. That's on the drivers. I mean, the drivers got to accept that and realize that. And if they want to pile everything in and, yeah, NASCAR is kind of the one that takes the blame and the heat. But if they stand their ground and say, hey, the driver has the wheel in their hands," You know, we've heard it between drivers and spotters. If the spotter says one thing, drivers, Joey Logano's one, when he's in the booth, he says, hey, the driver still has the steering wheel in their hands. They have their foot on either the gas pedal or the brake pedal. I kind of relate it back to the start zone change that didn't work. I understand it maybe didn't accomplish what they thought, but you didn't give them time to work through it either. They just like, oh, I, I don't know what to do, so I crashed or caused a problem. Let's change it. No, learn to deal with it. So now I'm kind of more in favor of not taking it away. But I, I really did like the way the strategies used to play on the road courses. Like I said, and that goes back into the 90s with uh, Jeff Bodine and his crew chief, and I can't think of who it was that made that call. But... It definitely, on road courses, took that element away when you talk about normally have the longer green flag runs because you don't have the cautions you do on a short track or a, a super speedway. Somebody can get off track, get going, and come back on the track. They're just a ways behind. you got to make it up on their own.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Uh, to a certain extent, I have mixed feelings on it, okay, because I, I really feel like, the consistency does need to be there. Now, is in my understanding, did I pick up on this, that uh, even though they're not taking the break, they are still awarding the points based on running position at designated that's times? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's so, correct. So we're still going to see stages. Okay, so that part of my argument uh, doesn't really hold water then, uh, because my, what I was afraid of is that uh, they weren't going to get the points. Uh, that they would normally get uh, for running position. And and maybe that is the way to go. I don't know. Instead of having that designated break, and you guys brought up all the reasons for why they wanted a designated break, uh, let's see how this works out. Uh, we still might have some of the same problems that we had before, but, again, I think it's a driver's decision uh, to race that way or not race that way. Now, some seem to feel like, uh, because everybody else is doing it, that they've got to do it too. Uh, not every driver, obviously, but <clears throat> at some point, there has to be a point of no return. Uh, a, a, there has to be a point of return. It's kind of like the pendulum that Mike talks about, and I, I talk about that all the time, too. The pendulum swings, and everybody goes crazy to one side, and at some point you got to swing back toward the middle somewhere, and there is a happy medium somewhere in the middle, but then what typically happens is then we swing all the way back to the other direction, until we swing back to the middle again. Um, I really uh, am happy that they're still going to get the stage points uh, in this race. Um, But, again, I think all of this is up to the drivers. Uh, And I hope we do see some of the way uh, road course racing that we've seen before, uh, where – Uh, They actually race on the track and not knock each other all over over the place. So we'll see what happens. Andy, you
4: get the last word. Yeah, not much to really follow up on other than, you know, I think this is a positive change, and and, and I guess that we'll just have to see how it plays out this weekend and probably something we'll talk about again on Monday. But I do think it's a good change, and hopefully it will uh, make the race a bit more interesting this weekend. All
0: right. All right. Uh, Mike, you get the next hot topic.
3: Jake kind of brought it up a little bit on the previous topic, but uh, this is kind of big news. Uh, Bob Pockers and other sources have announced that uh, as of this week at Circuit of the Americas and for every race thereafter – the restart zone is reverting back to the 2022 dimensions. Remember, for the 2023 season, NASCAR extended the restart zone 25% more in the beginning and another 25% at the end, so 50% overall larger restart zone. But starting this weekend, they are reverting back to the original dimensions.
0: Okay. Uh, Jay, you get the first uh, thought here.
1: I am totally against this. I thought it was a great deal, and we heard from... Drivers, I believe uh Sharon. Uh, I don't remember what night it was when we had Chase Briscoe talk about it, and he said he hadn't even gotten to experience it necessarily up front, but how it was from starting in mid-pack, he said it himself. It puts it more in the drivers, uh, the leaders' hands, which they've earned that right, whether it be by running fast enough front, getting the fastest pit stall, whatever. That it gave them more control of the race, which he felt they should have. Um, of the four. Well, we have four or five races. We've seen it so far this year. We had one situation, and it was at California. Everybody wants to point the finger there. There, That was di- uh, dissected, and they said it was drivers still trying to time based off of last year's start zone that they thought they could get the jump on the leader. Joey Logano, as the leader, did nothing wrong. He just waited and didn't go right away. He's got that extra 25%. He waited. That his right they jumped the gun caused the problem it's in the driver's hand i don't like the fact that they implemented something and only did it for four or five races and then are now trying to pull it away because i don't think it was a bad thing it may not have been the greatest thing and worked the way they wanted but you only had it and you didn't even have it at every style of track so i don't like the fact that they've pulled it already uh, that would be my biggest thing was keep it for the year if at the end of the year say okay it didn't accomplish what we wanted then we'll go do away with it. I think it was way too early to make that judgment call.
0: Andy, your thoughts.
4: I'm going to agree with Jay on this one. I thought that the larger restart zone, you know, gave the leader more flexibility to, to go when they deemed necessary. And and I would agree that, you know, there really wasn't enough time for these, these drivers to really get used to the changes. It would probably take several weeks to get used to that. So, um, I don't know if you know certain drivers complained. I really don't know why they went back to um, the old way. But, I mean, yeah, there were, like Jay said, there was really only one major instance, which was that restart wreck at Fontana where things went awry. But other than that, I didn't really see any issues in any race this season. So I'm really, really not sure why there's the reason for the change. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would agree I'm against it as well yeah I remember last
0: year uh when they were talking about the gen six car or the new generation car next gen car they were saying they didn't want to make any changes until um I guess they were able to logistically put it all together uh they didn't want to make rule changes and and all these kind of things because they wanted to wait until next year to to make whatever changes they wanted to make to keep everything consistent, and then we come into this year and after you know just a few races they're making a change, um, first first to lengthen it and now to shorten it back to where it was. Um, I, I I I don't think that's quite right. I think they need to keep it consistent, give the drivers a chance uh, to make that adjustment. Uh, and I'm not sure who was complaining about it, that the NASCAR felt that they had to uh, respond to it and put it back to where it was. Uh, I wish we would get a little bit more of a uh, explanation as to why they're, they changed it and then why they're changing it back. Uh, it, it just doesn't, I, I don't like that inconsistency of what it is from one week to the next. Uh, I think they need to, to, Keep that consistency Um, So And I think it contradicts what they did Last year Mike
3: Sharon we got to stop meeting like this Check the time
0: time. Oh is it that time again (laughs) Okay, you're right. Uh, We make an announcement at this time of the night uh, of our show to especially those first-time listeners to let you know that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We will record the rest of our conversation. You won't be able to hear it because we're going to be off the air, but we are recording the conversation and we'll have it as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. What I do is uh, when we complete the show here, I'll put it out on Facebook and uh, Twitter to let you know that the podcast is now available. And uh, at that point, you should be able to go to the two-hour mark on the player at com and hear the rest of the conversation. So, again, we didn't want anybody to be caught off guard and not know um, how they can hear the rest of that conversation uh, And so we make this announcement uh, At this time of this night So thank you Mike uh, For the reminder And now I'm anxious to hear your thoughts
3: Well I don't know what kind of thoughts I've got I don't know if this is a good change A bad change The only thing I know is this feels like a premature change To be honest with you If TV hadn't made a big deal about it for the first few races out of the year, I really doubt anybody, myself included, would have even noticed that they had extended the restart zone. Aside from the one wreck at Fontana, I can't really think of a single instance where it made a difference, good or bad. Realistically, the restarts have looked like they have looked for years. Ever since they implemented the double file restart and restart zone, they all look remarkably similar. Obviously, what happens past the start-finish line is, is different every single time. But in terms of how the leader fires off, how the pack moves, it really – I don't see that much of a difference. So, with there not being that much of a difference there, why make the change like this? Uh, we're, like, like you guys have said, we're only five races into the season. We had one wreck at Fontana, which – Okay, wrecks happened. It wasn't any kind of catastrophic end-of-the-world thing. It's, it's racing. Sometimes they wreck race cars. They could have wrecked them for any other reason there. Um, it just so happened it happened to be on a restart. So making the change now, going into the sixth or seventh race of the season, like you guys said, it just feels really premature. And I'm, I'm with you, Sharon. It's inconsistent. Last year, we don't want to make any changes to the car because we want to wait until the end of the season. When we got guys who are getting hurt in the hospital, being retired, medically retired because of concussions, we don't want to make changes to the rules until after the season. But we'll change the rules six races into the season for something that's relatively un- inconsequential. It's a bit of a head scratcher to me. Okay, Jay. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Am I still here?
0: Yeah, you're here. I uh, We couldn't hear
1: okay. you, though, there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, I just thought my phone shut off because I couldn't hear nothing. But uh, No, and that's why I'm against this. Uh, we haven't even seen it on a road course. We haven't seen it on an actual short track. I know Phoenix is listed as a short track at a one-mile track, but it's not an actual short track. So that's where I truly don't understand why they're making this. Uh, I will tell you this. I can't give specific names, but when you talk about why they're making it, because in their mind, the majority of the drivers are saying it didn't work. Why is that? Because out of the stage breaks this year, where we've seen it for restarts, it's been Chevrolet, specifically Hendrick Motorsports, that have been up front being the ones to get to capitalize on it. So you got four teams out of 36 to 40 (laughs) that are making it work because they've had the opportunity. That's Those are the ones that are saying, oh, this isn't working. We can't do anything with it, blah, blah, blah. You know, Give it to Chase Briscoe. He said, hey, I haven't had the opportunity. We'll see what, what happens when I get it. You know, he didn't say he wanted to see it changed, and he's one that it affects more than anything because he said he was starting mid pack And that's where you know, Dave Moody talks about it all the time. No matter what it is when NASCAR changes something, you've got to give it time to evaluate it. You can't evaluate it after Daytona. You can't evaluate something after just the West Coast swing. You've got to see it on every type of track, every different type of circumstance. And we haven't seen that yet. So I, this is one where I really disagree with NASCAR of pulling the plug already. Mid-season, maybe. If not, run it for the year and then say, hey, it didn't work, didn't accomplish what we wanted. We're not going to bring it back. But to pull it after only a couple races and not even at least once at every style of track, really just, it, it bothers me. Uh, it just baffles me. It bothers me. <laughs>
4: Andy. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that as well. You know, there really wasn't enough time to get used to this. Like I said before, I think that it's you know should have been you know probably utilized at least half of, if not the entire season. You know, analyze the data on it, see how it actually worked out, and then maybe in the off season, as you go over things to prepare for the following season, then maybe make the tweaks and changes. As like Mike said you know last year with with the car being so stiff and rigid they you know waited the entire season to to fix that problem you know which is a safety issue but then as far as this restart stuff goes it's like no let's let's change it after five races so i think it's a bit too soon but at the end of the day i'm not really sure us as race fans really would even notice the difference i i truthfully don't think it's going to be that relevant as far as being noticeable so Um, I don't know, I guess we'll see uh, how things go moving forward, but ultimately it just seems to be a bit of a quick decision after just a handful of races.
0: Yeah, it seems like a knee-jerk reaction to maybe, and I don't know how many drivers were involved in in giving feedback, but I, I can't believe it's all the drivers that gave that feedback. Uh, And there's only been a few drivers, uh, to Mike's point, that have actually, or maybe it was Jay, who have actually experienced, uh, you know, uh, leading that or, or, um, you know, running through the longer restart zone. So I I wish they'd give us more of a reason for why they're making the change. I I know they probably don't owe the fans that much, but um, it would be nice to have at least a reason for why they're changing it, Uh, other than the drivers didn't like it. Um, I don't think the drivers were given an opportunity to make the adjustment. Uh, and, And you guys have all said it. So, Mike, I'll let you have the last word here.
3: I think the important thing we need to do here is we need to start taking bets on how long it is until the drivers start complaining about we want a longer restart zone, we don't. the leader doesn't have any options, because you know it's coming. So I think the, the uh, we should set an over-under, right? Do we hear about this before or after the all-star race at North Wilkesboro? It's a, that's in about, what, six weeks, two months from now? Uh, so do we go two full months before people start complaining about it?
4: Mike, you'll probably hear about it on Sunday. Yeah, you're probably right. You're taking the under, huh? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no matter what NASCAR does, somebody's not going to be happy with it. But there has to be a better explanation for why they made that change, in my mind. <clears throat> but you're right. We're going to hear about it. Did you have anything more to add, Mike? Mike?
3: No, that's about it. I think uh, we've all said our P's, and it sounds like we're all in violent agreement about it.
0: <laughs> violent agreement? Wow. <laughs> okay, Jay, you're next.
1: Wow, so many to pick from. And I know there's one that might, uh, Mike or it might really have an opinion on here, uh, so I'll leave that one for him. But first off, on the over-under, if you're talking about fans and somebody complaining about something, you always got to go with the under. It's going to happen sooner than later. I promise that. Uh, that's my take on that. But we'll go with whether or not NASCAR is justified. Uh, Josh Williams got a one-race suspension, so he's got to sit out for one race. No points and no money. I don't know how this affects his playoff eligibility. I meant to try and see if I could find something on that, and I didn't.
0: What was it you were looking for?
1: Uh, Josh Williams is suspended for one race, Uh, just the suspension. There's no points penalty and there's no monetary penalty. Uh, I don't know if it affects his playoff eligibility. He will have to file for a waiver because he is missing a race, but I don't know if that would be granted or any indication of how that would affect his playoff eligibility.
0: Yeah, I think that's based on whether or not he requests it. (laughs) So we'll see. Uh, but, uh, Andy, what are your thoughts about the Josh Williams penalty?
4: <laughs> Not a surprise. I think we knew that NASCAR would, would do something because they had to do something. Uh, obviously, um, I, if you park your car at the start finish line and you get out on a hot track and you walk across the infield grass to pit road, uh, that's a safety issue. They're going to have to do something about that, and I think on Monday, um, I pretty much thought it might be a one race or it might be some kind of a suspension. Didn't exactly know what it would be, but I'm not surprised. I think honestly they went fairly lenient on him. They didn't take any points away. Um, I'm not sure that a monetary fine would have made any difference. Denny Hamlin was going to pay that regardless. So um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they gave him a slap on the wrist. I, I really thought, you know, the suspension could have been more than just one race, but they had to do something, you know, obviously when when something like that happens, there's really no, nothing you know else they could have done other than try to do something. But, um, yeah, I don't really know exactly how this is going to affect Josh. I did see from Bob Pockeris this week that to Jay's point, uh, he is going to have to, uh, I think, apply for a waiver to be playoff eligible. And because he's no longer eligible due to an egregious action, I'd be curious to see what NASCAR says about that, but I think the long-term gains from this, you know, outweigh the suspension. Um, You know, a lot of people didn't probably even know who Josh Williams was before this weekend, and (laughs) now they do. They know who DGM Racing is. They know who his sponsors are. So a lot of exposure for him and his team and, and his partners, which is huge, and, you know, really kind of helps somebody out like that. So... I think ultimately it's a net gain for Josh and his team and his partners. So, um, I guess we'll see what happens as far as the whole playoff thing goes. But, um, ultimately I think that the spotlight probably is, um, you know, a, a really good thing for them. So, um, too bad he can't race this weekend, but Alex Bebe will get in this car. He's a road course guy. He'll give him a good run. And, um, yeah, he'll be back in a couple weeks.
0: Yep, one of the best marketing plans, I guess, uh, is uh, to get your name out there, uh, regardless of how you do it. Um, They're already talking about T-shirts, about uh, Park It it Right Here or something like that, on T-shirts with Josh Williams. You're right, it got him a lot of uh, attention that he would not have normally gotten, uh market from a marketing perspective from a sponsorship perspective from all kinds of different perspectives he it was a net gain for Josh Williams um, Did he do it for that reason i don't think so it we ended up being a net result though uh from the action that he took uh The main thing is does he understand that what he did was a safety issue and uh is not really um, uh looked upon very highly by NASCAR and I would imagine that the conversation that he had with Wayne Norton after waiting in the holler uh probably made that very clear to him but I think if you asked him would he do it again uh I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure if he wouldn't do it again uh considering the net gain that he got from it so that's the only issue I have with it um it it does seem very um uh mild in comparison to what it could have been but i think denny hamlin kind of cemented that when he said he would pay whatever the fine was uh i think it was clear from that point forward that there wasn't going to be a monetary fine um and uh i don't know if i if i'm really happy with the whole situation or not um uh, but uh, I, I have mixed feelings about it for sure, but um, I do think that Josh Williams came out uh, with a lot more than he left behind. Jay? Me? Uh, did Jay yeah, no come up my, with did
1: yeah, oh, Mike, brought it? Yeah, I it Mike,
0: did I skip you again? Mike, how do I do that? Mike, your thoughts. I don't know how I did that again. It was on the same rotation too. Go ahead, Mike.
3: Is he there?
1: No, oh, he was a
3: minute ago. Oh, I'm here. I'm sorry. I was I was talking on mute.
0: Oh, okay. You got me Let's now. Do what you have to say. I got you now.
3: <laughs> so. You guys talked about lack of notoriety for Josh Williams. I've got a question. Is Josh Williams already a full-time driver in that car? Was he already attempting a full-time season? I don't, I don't know. Is that yes or no? Yes.
0: I'm looking it up. I think he was running a okay. full-time season, but I wanted to yes, be sure. Okay. He, went
3: full-time
1: he left his own team to go full-time with uh, DGM.
3: Okay. okay. I, I know he's been doing the part-time thing for a while. I didn't know if he was trying to do full-time this year. So, okay. Um, but, yeah, like, like you guys said, he's. I think he's got a net gain on this. He's probably going to pick up sponsorships. He's certainly getting merchandise sales. But at the end of the day, NASCAR had to act. We talk a lot about drivers using cars as weapons. He didn't use his car as a weapon, but he certainly used it as a finger. And NASCAR was put in a position where they had to act on it. He broke many rules and made NASCAR look bad in the process, so they had to act. With what they did with just a one-race suspension, I agree with you all. I think it was probably the minimum necessary to get the point across, make it look like, yes, we are doing something about it, but at the same time with the understanding of, well, we, we, you kind of have a point of why you were frustrated as well. So I think that's, in terms of rule enforcement, I think that's probably fair for all parties involved.
0: Okay. Now, Jake.
1: Yeah, just following up on what y'all have said, absolutely, the minimum. They had to act. This was kind of the minimum thing to even be, make an effective point because, as you said, somebody else was willing. Denny Hamlin said he'd cover the fine. That really wasn't going to make the point. Um, the key thing, I think, will be whether or not they choose to make them playoff eligible. Uh, for Josh Williams, it is a big deal. One race puts him back in the points. Whether or not he wins, it would be a battle to get in on points if it were another driver, a top-tier team, or one that is picking up victories, then it would be a matter of whether or not that, you know, if they got red got a couple victories in their pocket, the one race suspension wouldn't even matter unless they're not playoff eligible. So I think that's where the key comes in. Um, I don't think that in this case NASCAR just wants to say, hey, we're not going to accept this. Don't be the next one to get it because the, the penalty is going to elevate. Uh, I think that's where another aspect comes in. You've been warned, next time we're going to take it to another level. So it'll be interesting to see, like I said, whether or not they grant the playoff eligibility waiver in the event it's needed because I do think Josh Williams is in a position where he's going to have to try and race his way in on points. Um, Overall, they made the best of the situation. You're right. I think he's been on every radio station, every TV broadcast uh, since then (laughs) and uh, making money off of T-shirts, as Sharon said, and that money's going to his foundation i don't know if it's an actual foundation but group that does hospital visits he's a good guy he lost his head i think he made a bad decision um you know part of it was nascar may have made a quick call based on their frustrations with how the race had went it's kind of been acknowledged as well by all parties just was a bad situation got made worse so no i don't think he'd do it again um but he did in this case and now just making the best of it Um, I guess, if you will. And it certainly has had a more positive outcome. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think from last year, when Bubba Wallace got suspended for one race, I don't think he lost the playoff eligibility. So my guess would be not, but that might be something they have to look at moving forward if it were to continue to happen.
3: Wallace was suspended during the playoffs and he had already been eliminated. But he was still running for owner points. That's right. No, he'd been eliminated from the owner points as well.
1: Oh, is it that deep into the season? Okay.
3: Yeah, I don't remember on that one then.
1: I guess they didn't have to make the call.
0: Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, I,
4: yeah I, you know, kind of speaking to Jay's point there about playoff eligibility, I, I'd be curious to see if they would give him a waiver or not. I I think when you consider other drivers who have had to apply for waivers, it's been due to injury or some unforeseen circumstance that's really been out of their control. But where this was from a decision that Josh made, you know, that resulted in disciplinary action, I I don't know if they would award that or not. I guess what it remains to be seen. So that would be my only question coming out of it. But, you know, as far as what Josh did, like, You know, we talked about it Monday. Like, I I don't blame him for that frustration, and sometimes you're going to do and say things in the heat of the moment that, looking back on it, you might think, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I get the frustration. You know, the race was called horribly on on Saturday, and that was one of the several horrible decisions that was made by race control, And, and I can see why he and the team were mad. So I get it, you know, and I get why he did that, and I don't blame him one bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, you know, you want to try to avoid disciplinary action and suspensions, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he would maybe rethink that if, it, if that scenario was presented again.
0: Okay, Mike?
4: So with regard to the
3: playoff waiver, it's interesting because I like looking at precedents. If there's a precedent, I'd like to, to look at it and see what it says. Well, we have, we don't have a precedent of anybody being suspended and then looking for a playoff waiver from there, or split it for disciplinary issues, things like that. So NASCAR seems to be very generous when it comes to playoff waivers for injury. Even if the injury is not racing-related, uh, they tend to be pretty generous about granting a waiver. So examples, Kyle Busch obviously injured during the Xfinity Daytona race, granted a playoff waiver. Tony Stewart injured in a non-racing-related incident way away from a racetrack still granted a playoff waiver Uh, all indications are Chase Elliott will also be granted a playoff waiver similarly injured in a non-racing off-track type incident however when injuries not involved look at Grant Enfinger a few years ago in the truck series he was not granted a playoff waiver and the only reason he missed a race he didn't do anything wrong he wasn't suspended he was trying to get a race trying to to get a ride and could not secure a ride for one race that season due to sponsorship and seat availability. So Grant Enfinger missed one race, and NASCAR did not grant him a playoff waiver. So based on the Grant Enfinger example where he didn't do anything wrong and was attempting to, to race and it didn't work out for him, I'm kind of thinking they wouldn't grant Josh Williams a playoff waiver in this instance. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but that's kind of the, the examples I can come up with to, to see which way the winds might be blowing on the steel.
0: Okay, that's interesting because I remember at the time, I think we all thought that Grant Infinger should have been given a waiver uh, because it wasn't anything of his own doing. Uh, he had been trying to do everything he possibly could to get the sponsorship he needed to run that one race. and wasn't able to secure that and so nascar didn't grant the waiver um and in that case i thought they probably sh- could have granted a waiver to to uh, grant dingfinger for all of his effort uh in this case though uh, I'm, uh since you brought that up as a precedent uh it makes me think that maybe they shouldn't grant a waiver uh to josh williams because this was of his own doing it was a spur-of-the-moment decision uh, that maybe he looks back on and says, I probably could have handled that differently and done something different. Um, and I, I, like Andy, I can understand his frustration, but at the same time, it wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't the right way to handle that situ- situation. So it'll be interesting to see what NASCAR does. Uh, but I'd be a little bit upset, I think, if they grant a waiver for... For uh, somebody like, uh, and, and I like Josh Williams, don't get me wrong. Uh, I like Josh Williams. That He does a lot of really, really good things on and off the track. But I, I, I think it would not be fair to not allow Grant Infinger uh, to get a waiver and then give a waiver to Josh, Bear, Josh Williams, who did something uh, specifically against NASCAR's rules. So I kind of did a turnabout there, Mike, with that precedence that you brought up. Jay?
1: Yeah, i I, I got to echo it. i got to parrot that. I mean, I like Josh Williams. I pulled for him already last year uh, with the, the stepping out of his own car to give somebody else a spot, doing what was best for the team. Uh, if you've seen the interviews, he does great things with the children in the hospital. Yep. But I think if NASCAR really wants this to carry some weight, and I just think, and I'll pick whoever you want your top driver to be, People like to pick on Kyle Busch, so I'll use him. If he wins a race, if he gets suspended for one race. It doesn't affect him. He's already locked into the playoff. Just as we've seen with other penalties, you've got to carry that playoff point penalty with it. So I almost feel like NASCAR has to carry that with, and then Mike brought up, as I was thinking about it, the Grant Infinger deal, because that was not of his doing. He was doing everything he could in order to just be there, and if it was run one lap and pull off, He couldn't even get in the ride. That's not of his doing, per se. This was a disciplinary action in which he's being penalized. You almost think it has to. I mean, I hate to say it for for that team and for Josh Williams, but if you really want to set the precedent of this is not to be tolerated, that non-playoff waiver would almost have to, to go with it. Um and I would agree i if I were you know Sharon, you and I were I know two of them that definitely felt <laughs> there was no no reason NASCAR shouldn't have given Grant Enfinger one. he was in the top ten, had raced there all year, had the points even with missing in that one race um it was a shame that he wasn't um so for him to not get one but somebody that's been suspended by the sanctioning body to be able to, I think it'd be a tough pill to swallow
0: yep. Okay. Uh, do we have time for another one? Maybe a quick one. Do you have a quick one, Andy?
4: Um. Yeah, I don't think this will take too, too long, but um, Anheuser-Busch is expected to possibly leave Stuart Haas Racing and Kevin Harvick at season's end with Harvick's retirement and go to Ross Chastain and Team Trackhouse. This has not been announced, but is strongly rumored at this time.
0: Okay. Mike?
4: Well, the
3: racing world, there's a lot of rich getting richer, and then the poor getting poorer. SHR has been kind of on a downward slide over the past few years, and losing Kevin Harvick is going to be a big blow to them at the end of this year. And now they're looking at losing possibly one of their biggest sponsors that they've had for many, many, many years. That's, a pretty, that's, a, that's another big kick to a team that's already down. Hopefully, Stuart Haas is able to, to secure some other sponsorship but with Eric Almirola potentially retiring this year, next year, that's kind of unclear. It's presumed that he will take Smithfield with him when he goes. And those are the two most consistent sponsors. Really, about the only major sponsor that Stuart House Racing has left would probably be Mobile One. I know Rush Truck Center, Mahindra Tractors, they've got some deals there. But in terms of major sponsorship... Anheuser-Busch is a big one, and losing them is, a, is another big blow to Stuart Haas Racing. And for the sake of that team, I really hope they can fill that gap somehow.
0: Okay. Jay? Uh, okay.
1: Well, this is one where i got to say where there's smoke, there's fire. And this isn't the first time we've heard this. Um, rumor of them leaving. I know it's been kind of directed towards Ross Jastain. I think even Kyle Bush jumped in at one point and said, hey, what about me? I already have the Bush name once you come over here because we know that they were looking for sponsorship. That was part of his situation. So it does appear that Anheuser-Busch is going to be on the move um, from a business standpoint. I understand it. You see Trackhouse Racing is on the rise. Ross Jastain is a good spokesman as far as a, a sponsor Um, something they would look for. So, you know, with Kevin Harvick leaving, you know, it might be time for them to move on. I do have big concerns, like Mike mentioned, of what that does to Stuart Haas Racing, because I hate to see them um, on the downslide from that, especially from a sponsor perspective.
0: Yeah, those are two big sponsors for sure. And uh it would be a big hit for Stewart House Racing, so I'm sure they're working on it as we speak and hopefully they'll be able to get uh two uh replacements and unfortunately uh sponsors like Anheuser Busch and Smithfield are few and far between where they cover a good portion of the season um they'll probably need maybe uh twice as many uh sponsors or more in order to make up for those uh two sponsors so uh it'll be interesting Stuart Haas, is they've got to um they've been trying to get the ship turned uh within that organization. Uh, there's been a lot of changes within the organization. Uh, Tony's racing full-time now in the NHRA. It's not as many races as we have in the NASCAR, of course, uh, so he's still at the track when he can be at the track, uh, but his his attentions are certainly divided. But Tony's, Tony's kind of done that for a long time, have a divided attention. Um, but is it affecting the team is the big question. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out, but uh, I do think Ross Chastain is a good replacement, for, uh, and I can see why I, Anheuser-Busch is, is kind of headed in his direction, if that rumor proves to be true. Um, and we'll kind of have to wait and see how it all plays out, but um, that that would be a big hit, and um, we'll see how Stuart Haas Racing responds. Andy, you're a big uh, SHR Dan, what
4: are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's no secret that that sponsors come and go and will change drivers and teams throughout time. But it is concerning because stewart Haas Racing is set to lose one of its biggest partners in Anheuser-Busch, and they're set to lose their star driver in Kevin Harvick. And uh, it's no secret that the team, you know, has struggled a bit in recent years. And that continues here to start this season. Um, you know, as a race fan it's it's been frustrating this year to say the least and there's a lot of work that needs to be done, I think, for them to become the serious contenders that they once were. I'm not saying that they are you know that their their performance is insurmountable. I, I do think that they can put the work in to get back to a Level, you know that they need to be at but it's no secret. They're not on the level of a Hendrick or a Joe Gibbs or even team Penske right now So, you know, there's work to be done there and obviously, you know Those are the experts whether it be the engineers or the crew chief, car chiefs The the body shop guys those are the experts. I'm not so it's easy for me to say what they should do when in fact They're the ones out there doing it, but yeah, there's work that needs to be done performance needs to improve, but it is concerning when You know, you're set to lose your star driver and certainly possibly a big partner in Anheuser-Busch. So, to me, it'll be very critical to see who the answer is to to replacing Kevin Harvick. That, to me, is a, a big, big void that must be filled. And in my personal opinion, that needs to not be a pay driver like a Riley Herb. Not trying to call him out here, but putting a pay driver in, it would be detrimental to that team's success. It needs to be somebody that can contend and and be competitive to try to win races in a championship. And if you can do that as a team by signing a a good driver, you can possibly attract good sponsors to come in and replace Anheuser-Busch. In my opinion, you've got to make those kinds of changes, you know, as far as bringing in a good driver to help bring in good sponsors to help fill those voids. And I'm sure that's what they're going to try to do, but I, I think it's very critical moving forward, because, you know, outside of the four-car this year, the other three have struggled heavily, and they've got to find a way to continue to be viable moving forward, or that is a team whose future, in my mind, could be in jeopardy.
0: Okay. Uh, Mike, do you
3: have a follow-up? Yeah, I can't help but think that a, a lot of this comes from the top. You look at the two ownership groups of these two teams, Trackhouse and Stewart House Racing. At Stewart House Racing, you've got Tony Stewart, the NHRA driver and the series owner and promoter for SRX. And then you've got Gene Haas, the owner of an S1 team. Who's running the NASCAR show? I don't know. Nobody shows up there. Uh, Every once in a while, Tony will make a guest appearance at the racetrack, but that's about it. It it, it seems like Stuart Haas Racing is just adrift without leadership right now, at least not the leadership that they need. Compare that against Trackhouse, specifically Justin Marks there. I know Pitbull is a partner. He does uh, show up there from time to time, but Justin Marks is just incredibly invested in that team, not just financially. He's at every single race. You see Justin Marks on the pit box. He is just as passionate as anybody on that team uh, about being successful, winning, growing the team, growing the brand. And I can't help but think that that's what a sponsor like Anheuser-Busch is looking at saying, here's one team that seems to have an apathetic owner group. And here's another team that has an extremely passionate owner group. Which team would you want to support? And I think that has got to be part of the decision-making process here. And it's just another issue. The, losing Ann Hunter Isaac Bush is just another symptom of the larger leadership issue at Stewart Haas Racing with the lack of an involved ownership group. And that's a concern for that group. Okay, Jay. Well, I, I look
1: forward to it, if indeed it does go to, uh, over to Trackhouse and Ross-Gastain. As I mentioned, they're a team on the rise. We saw that last year. That it's been continued so far this year. Um, when you talk about Stuart Haas racing, I do have the concern, and I was trying to pull up some stats, but I haven't been able to do it quick enough. I believe Riley Herbst is the one driver in the Xfinity Series that has top ten finishes all year. I don't know why certain people want to rag on him, I think he is one that just the right opportunity, the right click hasn't happened. Um, and with that, I do believe he has some money. So I don't see where they shouldn't be given the opportunity. Uh, with that, they don't have what you would call a star, top star driver replacement for Kevin Harvick. I mean, Kevin Harvick's tough to replace, period. But I think they do have some drivers. Ryan Priest, one of them. Uh, I was hoping to see a little bit better start from him this year. But again, you got to give him time. I think all these drivers are capable of it. Um, Just need to see them getting that right opportunity. So we'll see how it happens. Lastly, though, with him going over to uh, Ross Strassene, we already have apple beer. I wonder how watermelon beer would taste.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you about Riley Herbst. He's also one of the drivers that has one sponsor for the entire year, and it's Monster Energy. Uh, so why uh, Stewart House Racing would deny that, I think that would be a silly thing to do, um, to not bring that kind of sponsor into their organization. Uh, Riley is showing improvement over his previous years. And, uh, in fact, I was going to pull up the standings here and because I think he's pretty high up in the standings uh, this year as well. He's third in the point standings. In fact, he's tied with John Hunter Nemechek. So to say that uh, he's got, uh, let's see. He does have uh, two top fives, five top tens. You're right. He's, he's, every race has been in the top ten this season, uh, and actually, there's three drivers that have done it: Austin Hill, John Hunter Nemechek, and Riley Erbst. So, I don't see what the what why that would be such a terrible thing. Uh, I think uh, Riley is only going to continue to improve. Uh, I think the bigger hit is going to be Kevin Harvick leaving uh and uh they're gonna need that money
2: uh
0: with the sponsors that are leaving with Kevin Harvick and potentially with Eric Almarola. Uh and Monster Energy has plenty of money to bring to the table. So uh I, I think it would be a good thing for them. Uh as far as the leadership I, I have to I do agree with you that there there needs to be more leadership involvement. I think they've relied on Kevin Harvick for a lot of that. And uh, he, with him leaving, it, it's going to be even worse. So I hope that they they kind of get that worked out as well. Andy, you get the final word here.
4: <clears throat> yeah, not not trying to rag on people. I don't really want to come off like that, you know. But um, when you go and take over a car that won nine races and you haven't won three years and counting, you, you got to win. That's really what it comes down to. So hopefully he does that. Hopefully he proves me wrong. Let's me put my foot in my mouth by year's end and he goes out and wins five races and contends for a championship. If he can do that, then he'll be cup series ready, but he's on his fourth full time season of being winless and eventually you've got to perform if you want to make it to the cup series. It's It's that simple. So we'll end on that note.
0: Okay, okay, Uh, let's do our round table, Mike, we'll start with you.
3: Well, unfortunately, we didn't get to the the hot topic about the Fox Sports booth, because I really wanted to try and pronounce the name Steiner. but uh, either way, I have not been looking forward to a race in a long time like I am this race at Circuit of the Americas came up this weekend. This is a huge weekend, not just for NASCAR, but for racing as a whole, and if there's ever been a weekend where NASCAR Cup drivers are underdogs in their own series, this might be the weekend. Don't miss the race this week at Circuit of the Americas. I know I won't. That's for sure.
0: All right. Jay.
1: You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, mj 8 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, heading down to Capital City Raceway, your Capital City Raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway. This weekend, so I'll be listening to these races on SiriusXM radio and then watching them when I get home. And before you throw it over to Andy, I don't think Jimmy Johnson won an Xfinity Series race before he came to the Cup. How'd he do? (laughs) Uh,
4: He did win Chicago in 2001. (laughs) Okay, Andy cb 14 fit on Twitter. I'll be off this weekend and very much looking forward to the racing at Coda.
0: Yeah, I got to ditto that. Uh, everybody's looking forward to this race. As I said, Circuit of the Americas is one of my favorite tracks anyway, and uh, with everything that's going on this weekend, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it as well. Um, I am fan 4 site on Twitter, Fan4Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including the website, fan dot com. And uh, we do have a radio player over there where you can listen to the live broadcast or our podcast. And um, a big shout-out to all of those that are taking the time to tune in and hear what we have to say. We have a lot of fun doing it, and uh, we hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, Also, uh, there was something I wanted to bring up. Next week, uh, we will be back on Monday, for the uh review of the circuit of the Americas and oh I know what I wanted to say the penalty review has been announced for uh at least the Hendrick uh penalty I'm assuming that both penalties will be heard uh to include the Hamlin penalty I don't know if that's the case or not but at least Hendrick Motorsports appeal is going to be heard on Wednesday so we won't be able to talk about that on Monday night, but I'm sure we'll be talking about it on Thursday night's show. So stay tuned for more there. Uh, and with that, guys, I think uh, a big shout-out to you guys for all that you do. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, words are not enough to express my appreciation. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night.
3: Good night, everybody.
1: Good night, and enjoy the weekend.
0: Okay, race. up next on Race. Ra- Ra- enjoy your weekend of racing at Circuit of the Americas. Good night, everybody.